mobile devices in digital transformation, how to become a better project manager, and IT gotchas in digital transformation. Those are just a few topics we'll cover here today in episode number 130 of Transformation Ground Control. This is Transformation Ground Control. Your source for all things business, technology, strategy, and change. If you're growing your business, leading change within your organization, or undertaking any sort of operational or technology change initiative, this podcast is for you. This show covers what you need to know about digital transformation, organizational change, operational improvement, and business growth. Five, four, three, two, one. And now, here's your host, Eric Kimberly. Hello, welcome to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 130. This is the podcast that has everything to do with digital transformation, including the people, process, technology, and strategy aspects of transformation. My name is Eric Kimberling, your host here today. I'm also the CEO of Third Stage Consulting. We're an independent consulting firm that helps clients throughout the world reach their third stage of digital transformation success. And my co-host here with me, as always, is Kyler Cheatham. Kyler, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Excited about today's episode. Me too. I'm excited. This is going to be a great episode. Some great guests here today. Great topics. We're going to start off with some questions from the audience, and we'll get to answer some of those questions in real time uh, in that opening segment. And also in the opening segment, we'll get to a couple hot topics. One is focused on mobile devices in digital transformation. We'll also talk about kickstarting digital transformation in the healthcare industry. And then later in the show, after that opening segment, we'll have our first guest, Adriana Girdler, on the show who is an efficiency and a project management expert. She'll be on the show to talk about how to be a better project manager um, in general, whether it's digital transformation or any sort of complex project. We'll talk about what you can do to be a better project manager and some of the things to think about and some of the various nuances of being a, a good project manager. And then finally, last but not least, later in the show, we'll have Amanda Patterson from the Third Stage Consulting team. She'll be on the show talking about IT gotchas during digital transformation. So we'll talk more about the IT nuances of transformation and what are some of those things that oftentimes get overlooked, but end up surprising you as part of a digital transformation. So be sure to stick around for that. But before we get to our guest, a quick reminder, you can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as audio podcast platforms throughout the world, including Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, etc. So be sure to subscribe there if you don't already. So Um, That being said, let's jump into some of these questions you have for us, Kyler. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I have my question jar here. um, And if you are not familiar with the question jar, you can um, comment on any of Eric or Third Stage's social media platforms on any of our content with the hashtag AskEric. And I will pull all of those questions and we will address them in future episodes. So let's get into it. So this one is from um, Eric, your YouTube channel, and it's it asks, what are the three stages in business transformation? Is, sorry, is stage three digital, but what about one and two? So let's focus on kind of explaining the three stages of digital transformation. Yeah. So generally when we, when we talk about the three stages of digital transformation, um, which is where the name third stage consulting comes from, there's, there's, first of all, it's helpful to understand that it's a, it's a rocket launch metaphor. And so when you launch a rocket into space, typically, historically, what happens is you have two stages of booster, 
that gets the rocket up into space. But then the third stage boost is what gets it up to its ultimate height and speed. And so we thought that was a good metaphor for digital transformations, because if you think about transformation, you're fighting gravity, you're fighting inertia, there's a lot of risk, complexity, et cetera. And so the first phase or the first stage, I should say, is the one that's the most dramatic failure. You know, if, if a company doesn't get past that first stage, um, those are the ones you read about in the news. Those are those massive failures where they never really launched anything. They spent a lot of time and money on a transformation, but didn't get anywhere with it. And although those are more catastrophic than other types of transformations, they're actually pretty rare. They're not that common, but when they do happen, you hear about them in the news, especially if it's a big company that spent X millions of dollars, or in some cases, hundreds of millions of dollars on a transformation, but they have no results to show for it. Um, small minority of projects, but very catastrophic. The bigger risk is, is sort of getting into that second stage where they made it past that first stage. They were able to deliver some value, but the value was very underwhelming. It went over budget, took too long, uh, left the, the organization in a state of chaos, you know, short-term or long-term. So that's sort of that second stage risk that most organizations get caught up in. And I'd say 80% or so of organizations get stuck in that second stage. And so the third stage is really being able to reach that ultimate end state that you're trying to get to um, of on time, on delivery and, and getting the business value you expect. It's not to suggest that those projects are easier or it's done easily, but it is a situation where the organizations actually get to that third stage. So that's how we sort of define those three stages and really focusing on helping our clients reach that third stage of success and navigating the risks and complexities of those first two stages. Absolutely. Definitely something that, that we focus on here that's kind of unique in the industry, right? Not just a let's turn your go live on and goodbye, good luck to you, right? Really maximizing the business um, value of your new technology. Yeah, absolutely. All righty. This is an interesting one, which is system specific um, about Odoo. So Odoo is popular because of their marketing strategy. The client re becomes the reseller and then recommends Odoo to prospects. What do you think of this overall unique strategy? Well, I'd, first of all, I'd say I agree with the comment that Odoo is good at marketing. They are extremely good at marketing. Um, they're also very good at building a very passionate following uh, behind their product. Um, and, I, and I think a big part of that probably is this unique marketing and affiliate program sort of model that they've developed as a company. Um, you know, I see no, I see no problem with that. I think it's a brilliant marketing strategy. I think the key though, is if you're a, if you're an objective buyer in the industry and you're thinking about, you know, what kind of technology is going to be the best fit for my organization, um, you might look at Odoo, of course, and you might look at other systems out there as well. And you might get a sense that, oh, you know, people are really passionate about Odoo. And, um, there's a lot of, I call it Kool-Aid being drank in the Odoo ecosystem, which is not a bad thing, but it can create a bias uh, if you're no, if you don't check it or if you don't sort of validate that there's relevance, uh, you know, behind that uh, passion and that that bias, if you will, for Odoo. So as an organization, you have to like take it into account, but also look past that and say, okay, well, let's just look at the product itself and is it a good fit for what we're trying to do organizationally and strategically. So I think it's a good thing. I, I have no problem with it, but it, it just creates an unintended dark side, which is how do you see past the the 
passion that people seem to have for Odoo because it may be a good fit for your organization, but it could also be a terrible fit. And you don't want to be tainted or, or biased by the fact that so many organizations out there are very passionate about the product. Same can be said for like SAP. You know, there's a lot of people out there that love SAP. There's a lot of people that hate it too, but um, there's a lot of people that just love SAP and, and swear by it and think it's the best thing since sliced bread, especially for large organizations. And so if you, you know, you start to hear that echo chamber of reinforcements, it could create a bias unintentionally that you've got to look past. And that's true for any, any software vendor. Absolutely. Understanding your unique requirements and needs is really that first step um, to understanding the best system for you. And if you do have more questions about Odoo or software comparisons in general, you can head over to the Third Stage YouTube channel or Eric's YouTube channel. We have a variety of different comparisons as well as kind of our independent and technology agnostic overviews of, of the weaknesses and strengths of each system. Yeah. All right, let's do one more here. Ooh, this is a good one. This is from um, your YouTube channel and it says, so we know leaders must be the face of the digital transformation project, but what if leadership isn't bought into the need for organizational change management? Well, that's a good question. A lot of leaders are not bought into the need for organizational change management. Um, you know, I think, first of all, you have to, it's good that you recognize that they aren't bought in. If that's true, if they're not bought in, it's, it's important to recognize that and, and um, know that you've got a problem you've got to deal with. Because if you don't overcome it, if you don't, if you sort of brush it aside and assume that you can just power through the implementation or power through the transformation anyway, without the buy-in and support for change management, um, you're going to be setting yourself up for failure. So the sooner you can get the organization and the leadership from the organization on board with change management, the more effective you're going to be as a project team member and, and as an organization as a whole. So my recommendation is that, first of all, you have to educate and, and educate to leaders why change management is so important and why this is not just an IT project. Um, a lot of times executives think it's the same as, you know, if we're a digital transformation is the same as if we were going to roll out a bunch of new laptops or a you know, a Windows upgrade or an Outlook upgrade uh, through the organization. Those those are never easy, easy, but relatively speaking, those are easier initiatives than a digital transformation, which is a broader based, more all-encompassing change to a business that a lot of leaders don't understand. So a lot of times it's, it's helping paint the picture of what this transformation really means and what the impact is to the organization. And then once they see that, oftentimes then they understand that, oh, we're not just deploying new technologies. We're talking about making these massive overhauls to our processes, or you know, we might be consolidating jobs or automating people's jobs. And we have a whole department here that um, you know we're going to automate X percent of their jobs, and we've got to figure out what we're going to do with them. And you know, once once you get into those kinds of conversations, then executives start to understand that okay, this is not just a technology rollout. This is a big business transformation essentially. And now you know we get it. We understand the need for change management. The other part of it too, the other thing I'd add is if you can do an organizational assessment, like a readiness assessment and quantify some of the cultural nuances of your organization and quantify some of the sources of resistance that are likely to occur as a result of the transformation, then oftentimes that makes it easier for executives to really understand objectively why change management is so important and understand what the issues are that they're going to need to address. Absolutely. Um, and that, you know, that's a really complex question. It can be very difficult to kind of turn the head of the executive team. So as a 
support resource to that, um, we'll pop a QR code up here to our organizational change management guide, which is really a full playbook of, of how you secure that buy-in. It's also in the link below wherever you're getting this podcast or or video. So that's a, always a good tool to be able to kind of showcase the need for those um, initiatives and the power of the impact for failure. So definitely a very important question. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just as a reminder, uh, if you'd like to ask Eric a question, go ahead and pop it on any of his social channels. We comb through all of those and really enjoy all of your great insight and questions. Um, so feel free to to pop those wherever you're viewing today as well. And um, we will pull them for next week's episode. Yeah, sounds great. And thank you to everyone who asked these sorts of questions because they're fun to, to answer real time here on this show. So I look forward to seeing what other questions people come up with. Um, well, good. Well, we're going to shift gears and and uh, get into some hot topics here in just a moment. Two hot topics in particular that we'll cover are mobile devices and digital transformations and the use of mobile devices in transformation, as well as kickstarting digital transformation in healthcare. And then later after our hot topic segment, we'll have Adriana Girdler on the show. She'll be a guest on to talk about how to become a better project manager in digital transformation. And then finally, last but not least, we'll have Amanda Patterson from the third stage consulting team. She'll be on later in the show talking about IT gotchas during digital transformation. So be sure to stick around. We've got a lot more to cover. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. We'll be right back. Could you whisper in my ear the things you want to feel? Interested in working for a company that truly values your unique skills and experience? Here at Third Stage, we don't hire based on resumes alone. We look at the full candidate, experience, and willingness to provide excellent service for our clients. Within a technology independent and agnostic consulting firm, you have the opportunity to learn across industries with a diverse group of clients. Our consultants also have the opportunity to diversify their portfolio and learn across technology systems. If you're interested in joining a high growth entrepreneurial organization, please reach out to us at work at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 130. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. We have uh, new episodes of this show every Wednesday on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as audio podcast platforms throughout the world. So be sure to check us out on whichever platform you prefer. We try to make it as easy as possible to find the show, so be sure to check us out there. So uh, Kyler, you've got a couple of hot topics, really interesting hot topics in store for us today. What have you got for us? Yeah. So first I want to talk about um, digital transformation in a mobile environment and asked you some questions around that. And this is specifically around SAP. They just recently had their mobile day um, where they have speakers of leading brands that kind of show mobile concepts that are really crucial to specifically digital transformation in encouraging employees to innovate, deliver, and really win that race for talent in a, a strapped marketplace. Uh, so what this looks like is is the need for mobile and really showcasing why this is important in kind of those collaboration environments when employees work together and then just overall user experience. So I want to share with you um, Sean Gaben, the head of global strategy and partnerships um, for Android Enterprise at Google, specifically talked about that mobile is the presentation layer of digital business. It's how data becomes actionable by people. And 
in an enterprise environment, he really talked about the importance of mobile is often the missing piece of digital transformation for companies, really the kind of achieving that third stage of how do you optimize technology and ensure that collaboration and innovation. So I thought that was an interesting statement. We don't often hear a ton about the need for mobile environments when looking at digital transformation strategies, but they really talked about how it's a lacking piece that needs to be included. So I thought I would bring that to you and see kind of what your opinion is or what you've kind of seen in your experience, the need for mobile environments within a technology stack. Yeah, well, I think it's a, it's a, an important thing to understand as far as the realities of how people do their jobs now and how people are going to do their jobs in the future. Um, you know, even now, and certainly 10 or 20 years from now, I don't think people are just going to be primarily sitting in front of a computer doing this work. Um, especially if you think about it, you know, a lot of us, you and I included Kyler and others, you know, listening here are office workers, we'll call them. But the reality is most of the most organizations, most people in most organizations are not office workers. They're people that are out on a shop, on a shop floor, on a factory floor. They're out in a warehouse working. They're out as a field crew doing stuff. They're out, you know, in a, in a call center, you know, whatever. There's a lot of different roles that people are playing that are not in an office where they're in front of a computer. So the question is, how do you, how do you have a fully connected data-driven organization that supports that and doesn't rely on sort of traditional just computers, desktop computers to capture most of that information. Um, I remember ERP implementations like 10 or 20 years ago were so focused on like that desktop aspect of people's jobs that you would have all these people out in the field doing stuff and capturing data. And then they'd have to go back to a computer somewhere and, and enter information after the fact. And that's just not realistic. It's not efficient. It's not accurate, you know, to do things after the fact. So, you know, having mobile devices, letting people use their phones, which they're used to using in their personal lives anyway, and they're connected to their phones in a different way than we've ever been connected to computers um, or desktop computers, I should say. So, you know, how do we how do we merge those different worlds? And I think that's what you're saying, what we're seeing here and where we're going as 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 an industry is more towards mobile technologies that can be used any place, anywhere. Yeah, that's really interesting, Eric. They actually shared a case study here, which really surprised me um, from the German car manufacturer, Audi, which, you know, obviously is a mainstream, huge manufacturer. And what they do is they really demonstrated how the company uses kind of new native apps from SAP to improve their warehouse process. And the example here is they centralize and simplify the entry to all SAP applications with SAP Mobile Start on their manufacturing floor. So there, it's it's really all a mobile environment. And I, I never even thought that was a possibility. Yeah, I mean, it's and there's so many examples of how mobile can be used to streamline a company's operations. I, you know, as you were talking about, maybe because you were talking about Audi, it made me think of Europe. But when I was in Europe, um, you know, I remember being in Europe about 20 years ago and noticing how at restaurants, they all would have those little mobile um devices to take orders. And then when you went to pay with your credit card, you, they all, it was all right there in the self-contained mobile unit that a server um, would have, but then you'd go home to the United States or I'd come home to the United States and we didn't have that. In fact, we haven't really had that sort of mobile usage in restaurants in the U S until COVID. I mean, COVID really drove that for some reason. I'm not, I'm not fully sure why, but whatever it, during COVID that's where a lot of restaurants now are using that, but we're, you know, 20 years behind much of Europe. So it just, but it, it's just, I bring that up because that's sort, sort of like a, 
a common consumer facing process that has been automated over time. And you look at a company like Audi or any manufacturer that has thousands of people out doing stuff in different parts of the organization, physically different parts of the organization. And for us to collect data and capture real-time data, we have to have a way for those people to capture data and do their jobs wherever they are without having to rely on them to come back and remember what they did or look at a piece of paper and re-enter stuff in, into a system centralized. Yeah, definitely. Those manual processes um, as well. We were We were just talking to a client the other day that was telling us about every kind of inventory change that they made to their custom manufacturing process. They wrote it down and gave it to this one stakeholder that now has to um, to implement it into the system. And so that's still very is very prevalent right now um, in kind of the digital transformation needs across the globe. So definitely something that's that's very interesting and, and important to consider a lot of times that might be left off when we talk about the conversation of the need for mobile environments and a smooth user interface to create efficiencies. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So let's move on to um, healthcare um, in digital transformation. I kind of want to just like uh, lay the landscape of of this for you, of where the current state is. Obviously, we do a lot of work in healthcare, so we you know have a lot of needs of that. But just the overall kind of current state of the industry. Um, so they're they're having obviously a huge transformation since the COVID nineteen, which accelerated accelerated digital transformation across all healthcare, from telehealth to you know, um, needing to transfer records to EHRs, all those different types of, of needs and requirements really transformed that force transformation. But there's another layer to this that talks about healthcare worker burnout. And there's a stat from this study that says there's an estimated of 10 million healthcare workers in shortage by 2030, which is pretty staggering. So you look at that, um, in compared to the stats of 83% of healthcare leaders look for in um, improved automation programs as a strategic objective um, currently. So that's kind of where we're at is you have an industry that's going through a huge transformation, but you also have a shortage. So what I wanted to ask of you is these initiatives that we talk about how to kickstart healthcare all go through digitization. So we're looking at things like robotic process automation. We look at things like uh, the ability to automate those manual tasks we talk about. But we also are going against a huge worker shortage. So when you do have an industry that's so in need of a digital transformation or more efficiencies through technology, but then you also have a significant labor shortage, how do you balance that? Well, it's a it's a great question. That's something that um, I cover in a recent YouTube video where I talk about why I think digital transformations are going to fail at a increasing rate in the coming years. And part of that is because um, is because of what you just described, the, the skill sets, the labor shortage, um, not only the the volume of people that are, are not um, available to, to work in the workplace, but even the ones that are, that are available within a certain products ecosystem. There, a lot of them aren't fully trained and up to speed on these newer, you know, cloud versions of the software that they're they're rolling out. And so there's even of like the most qualified resources that are available, you know, there's a lot of confusion and lack of understanding there. So it's not just quantity; it's also quality of, of resources and knowledge. So you know, I think the key here is to really um, recognize that and know that any sort of proposal or plan you put together 
uh, for your transformation project needs to take that into consideration and make sure that, um, you know, you, you might have to slow down your project. And if a, if a vendor comes to you and says, we can implement, you know, our software in 12 months, um, it may be that with the skill shortage that you describe, it might actually take more like 18 months because you can't get the resources you need. Or, um, I, by the way, I, th- I don't think this is necessarily a bad thing because I, I think a lot of times, um, what's happened in the past is organizations had too many consultants coming in too quickly and companies were burning through that time and budget too quickly as a result of that. Um, but now this allows us to sort of even things out to where, you know, with this, with less technical resources available, that's bad news, but it could actually be good news in that it sort of right sizes the tempo that the project should have been all along. Um, if that makes sense. So I, I think it's uh, mostly, you know, it, it is a risk, something that needs to be navigated, but it's something that comes back to the project planning, making sure you have a realistic understanding of what resources you really have and how does that affect your timeline and overall approach. And what about, I know you did another recent video on interoperability and the importance of that. So when you have an environment like healthcare that you're trying to do like electronic record sharing and it needs to go to the provider, to the insurance agency, to the patient, there's so many different touch points. How do you ensure that you can create a, a level in which they're not going out and sourcing different providers or private healthcare or those types of different things that we've seen a lot in like areas like the UK. Um, how do you ensure that interoperability is something that is a main strategic priority? Yeah, it, it comes down to focusing on it in knowing that you're not just going to implement a solution. There's probably a suite of solutions or a combination of technologies that are going to be required to make your organization function the way it should. And while you might have a you know, electronic health record system or an ERP system or a supply chain system or whatever it is that you're deploying, um, chances are pretty high you're going to need a way to tie that or connect that to other systems and other processes throughout the organization. So just really understanding that full scope is is the first step and then planning for it and building it into your, your overall project plan. Absolutely. Well, definitely something that, uh, you know, suggestions always are reaching out to those experts, especially if it's a huge, complex project like this, because, you know, that awareness is really key and the the knowledge of failure points is power. Um, So thank you for providing all that great insight. And of course, if you have any suggestions, I highly recommend sharing them in the comments here so we can really create that community and that network to set our projects up for success. Yeah. And speaking of setting projects up for success, uh, we are going to have an efficiency expert in project management discussion here in in the next segment. Uh, We're going to dive into how to become a better project manager, which sort of ties back to some of these hot topics we just talked about. We're going to have Adriana Girdler on the show, who's an efficiency expert, project management expert. She's a trainer, a YouTuber. And uh, in fact, that's how I found her was on YouTube. So excited to have her on the show. She's been on the show in the past. It's been about a year. Um, but she's uh, going to be back and we're going to talk to her about how to become a better project manager. And then later in the show, after Adriana is on, we will have Amanda Patterson on the show and she's going to be on to talk about IT gotchas during digital transformation. Amanda is a team member here at the third stage consulting where you and I work, Kyler. So looking forward to both guests. So we'll have Adriana on the show. Uh, as soon as we take a quick break, you're listening to Transformation Ground Control. We'll be right back. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. 
Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 130. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter, where we stream every Wednesday morning U.S. time and in, in morning in the Americas, uh, afternoon and evening in Europe, Middle East, and Africa, uh, and Asia as well. So be sure to check us out there. And we also, on Wednesdays, release this podcast in the audio-only version on all the audio podcast platforms throughout the world, so be sure to check us out there. So I'm excited for our next guest, a return guest coming back for her second time. Um, she was on before to talk about sort of the basics of project management um, about a year ago. I think it was in September of last year. If you go back to Transformation Ground Control, back to about the September timeframe, you'll find the episode where uh, she first made her debut appearance on Transformation Ground Control, and now she's back. This time to talk about project management again, but more specifically, how to be a better project manager. How can you sort of fine tune and master this really complex but important profession that is, that is project management. So uh, all that being said, Adriana, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much, Eric. Always a pleasure to be chatting with you and your audience. And I'm from Toronto, Canada. Great. So we've got Toronto, we've got Denver, we've got already Greece. people mentioning here coming in from Greece, Toledo, Ohio, Daytona Beach, Florida, another from Denver, Colorado, New York City. Um, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, Miami, Florida. So people from all over the world joining here today. Thank you for dropping in the chat where you are today. Fantastic. Um, so this is your second time here on the show, Adriana. So I'm really excited. It to have is. You back. Well, thank you so much for inviting me back. It was a great conversation the first time and such an engaging audience. So I'm really looking forward to this one as well. As we were preparing for this conversation, I was going back to my notes to see, you know, what did we cover last time? What were the major threads we covered? And I thought it's been a few months, but it's been almost a year. So time really does go, go by really fast. I had to go way back in my notes to find the, to find the conversation. Isn't that crazy? It is crazy. So glad, better late than never, I suppose, but great to have you back. And uh, maybe just to start for those, those that weren't part of that initial conversation you and I had, or if they just forgot, maybe tell us a little bit about your background, who you are, what you do, how you got in this role, all that good stuff. Absolutely. Uh, I am the president and chief efficiency officer of Cornerstone Dynamics, and we are a process and project management consulting firm, and that's what we specialize. So we focus on making internal ways working for organizations better, more effective, more efficient through project management principles and through uh, efficiency principles. I'm also the founder and creator of Slay Project Management, which is a practical uh, project management online program that really helps individuals to truly understand the framework of project management, to be successful, to execute projects from true start to true finish, and to do it in a practical way with all the templates and everything that you need to be successful. So that's who I am, and that's really what I do. And I help many large global organizations do what they do better. Great. That's a that's a very 
crisp and concise uh, vision statement, sort of purpose statement of, yes. of what it is you do. <laughs> Very <Absolutely>. interesting. <laughs> And if yes. you don't already check out Adriana's YouTube channel, she has a really good YouTube channel. Um, and that's how I found you actually was on YouTube. And so anytime I want to know about project management, or I feel like I need to sharpen my saw as it relates to project management, or quite frankly, if I'm just looking for ideas on how to get more concise in my communication or bring up my energy level, I go to your channel. So be sure to check out Adriana Girdler's channel on YouTube too. It's really good. Thank you. And you've recently passed 100,000 uh, subscribers. I'm at 140,000 now. Yeah. So nice. the goal, yeah, the goal is 1 million. So please subscribe if you haven't subscribed. <laughs> Every subscriber. No, sorry. It's an amazing community. Um, it's an amazing community. And really, I get very excited because um, I like giving value and to ensure that there's lessons learned from there because there's so much that I think we get so busy on executing that we forget how we execute on things, which can make it either to be a more work or B just have interactions that have a little more struggle with it. And it doesn't have to be uh, with the people around us who we work with, you know, a big part of our day. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So how did you, how did you get started in project management? I kind of know you who you are today, but I didn't know you way back when, when you started out, how, how did you, how did your career progress and how'd you end up in a project management role? So I think like most project managers, I stumbled onto the role. <laughs> I did not wake up one day in university going, I want to be a project manager. I mean, I, I have multiple degrees. My first one is a history degree, so a Bachelor of Arts. And then my second is mechanical engineering. So it, it was really, I stumbled upon it. And um, I really got into it from the engineering end of things because with engineering, it's very project oriented. And as a result of it being project oriented, it was just one of those things where I just automatically because of the role got into projects. And that's really how it came about. And then it was in my pharmaceutical years that um, I was, it was suggested to me, hey, you should really get your PMP, which is your project management professional designation. And so I did that uh, in the pharmaceutical years. Uh, and yeah, and I've been doing it, oh my goodness, like 25 plus years, which I know I'm supposed to say I don't look like it. Actually, everybody's supposed to say I don't look like it. Yeah, we're all but, Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, that's so vain, right? Such vanity coming into play. But yeah, no, I've, I've been doing this for a really long time. And that's why I have the YouTube channel. That's why I have the practical project management course. And that's why as a consulting firm, we get asked to help organizations do what they do better because of the years of experience in the different industries that we've been in. So yeah, it was so, a stumbling effect. <laughs> I stumbled. You know, it's funny you say that, though, because I don't know of any project managers that really set out on that project management career path. They sort of stumbled upon it and then they sort of reactively think, oh, wait, I should probably get certified in PMP or get some sort of skill set training, training or yeah, you know, it's, it it's interesting because project management is a skill set. And I think too many people get thrown in the role and then they wonder why things fail. In fact, one of the uh, big stats within project management is 60 to 70%, 70, 60 to 70% of projects fail. So that's huge. Like when we take a look and we take a step back from an organizational perspective, when we look at success rates, 60 to 70% failure is not acceptable, but yet for projects, we allow for that. And when we, and when you take a look at it, it's time, scope, and budget, it's like, did you go over budget? Did you not meet your timelines? And did you actually achieve what you needed to achieve? And that's 60 to 70%, let alone um, issues within the project and not getting the right quality or having, you know, not the right 
uh, communication amongst your team. So that causes a lot of political issues, right? So it's, it's a very interesting dilemma. And I think too many people think anyone can do project management. And I think it's not to say that you can't do project management. You have to be taught how to do project management. There is a way to go about doing it. And I think sometimes that gets lost a lot in organizations. And then they wonder why they're not successful or their initiatives or projects that they're putting in place are just not giving them what they needed. And it's usually because of how things were executed nine times out of 10. Yeah. So yeah. that 60 to 70% metric, that is projects of any sort. I mean, not just digital or, or technology projects, but any sort of like transformation or any sort any, of Any initiative. type of project. It's 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 a really high, it's it's really unfortunate because it shouldn't be that way. But yeah, mm. it's like any. And then and then you add in certain types of industries or types of projects. And I'll be honest, you put in any type of digital project and you mix it with the regular uh, corporate population who is not digital or who doesn't understand software related stuff. And that even increases more. So there's a lot mm -hmm. of issues, a lot of just rework and it's a struggle. And I come across that a lot of times we get asked to fix problems. Like, Oh my God, we have this project. Can you help us fix it? And as I said, nine times out of 10 is just how fundamentals weren't used. A lot of assumptions were made. And particularly when it comes to digital transformation, um, there's unrealistic expectations from senior executives to get things done quicker. There has to be a little more thought, energy, and effort to look through it. And then the biggest problem too are business requirements. There's this disconnect that I see all the time between software-related folk and regular office-related folk. And, and what I mean by that is like someone who's in the finance department doesn't really understand how software engineers work, let's say, or if you're in that digital mindset, like, okay, I have to bring to all these things to fruition. And there's a little bit of disconnect with methodology. And then that's where I find everything falls apart. So it's like, that's why you have to really take a look at projects from true start to true finish from the point of initiation. And yes, you can still implement an agile methodology, waterfall methodology, like whatever hybrid methodology, whatever methodology you're going to use, but there's still this framework that you have to look at and apply. And remember, it's about people. And that's what gets forgotten. It's all about the task and about getting it done. And we have to forget it's about communication. It's about being, bringing, bringing people along the journey and ensuring that you've crossed your T's, dotted your I's. And that's through risk management and change management and things of that nature, which gets lost in a lot of digital transformation projects. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I, I've noticed, maybe maybe it's just the timing of when I've noticed, I don't know that your content has necessarily changed that much, but um, I have noticed in your content on your YouTube channel lately, there there seems to be more conversation around change management and the intersection of project management and change management, which I think is really fascinating and really important for people to understand. So um, kudos to you for not just focusing on sort of the PMP-ish sort of stuff, but also looking more globally at what what are all these different moving parts and pieces that are so important to make any sort of project successful? Well, I'm, 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 I'm glad you bring that up because I think sometimes we forget because I'm, I'm also a master black belt lean six sigma mm -hmm. so you have to understand like i take the efficiency and effectiveness aspect and i i try to streamline and make everything as as efficient and effective as possible and it doesn't matter what it is that i do it with so you know and it's and it's whether it's that genre whether it's project management genre it's 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 fine to have your book knowledge right? You're book smart. Like, oh, hey, I theory, I know all of that. But it's the practicality of things that I think gets lost. And it's the A, have you done enough to have experience? And B, do you understand people? I think that's the biggest thing I see 
as a disconnect in a lot of projects is, do you understand how to motivate people? Do you know how to communicate? That's where that change management uh, piece comes in. So it's really important that you integrate that into your project uh, planning for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So since you and I are both vain, we share that uh, characteristic <laughs> here. I have to share this comment here from, from Brandon on YouTube. Uh, Brandon on YouTube says, I just fell into project management four months ago. You've been huge motivators. So we have a, we have a mutual fan here with Brandon. So Yay. thanks for being here. Brandon. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. No, it's, um, it's, it's, Sometimes it's just so small little pieces of golden nuggets of years of experience, right, Eric? Like mm -hmm. it's just, you know, we have these years of experience, we've seen things and it's like, don't reinvent the wheel, learn from others as much as you can. And what I always like to say is do your best work every day, whatever mm -hmm. that may be. And then, you know, you've done your due diligence, but always come from it from a lens of looking at things holistically, look at the horizon and bring everything together in your decision-making. But when we get very believe me, I, I get into it too when I'm under the gun, right? Pressure, looking at one thing, and we're forgetting that there's other things outside of our peripheral vision, which has impact on what we're doing. And if we're wondering why I did this, I executed it, why didn't it work well? Or how come it wasn't received that well? It's because we forgot to take a step back and we forgot to take a look at the peripheral vision. And that becomes really important in digital transformation type projects, because I promise you, there are so many people who are impacted by these types of digital transformation projects that they will make up their own story. And you need to nip those in the bud in order to ensure successful implementation, because you can have great implementation, but if people haven't bought into it, it will fail afterwards after the mm. go live. It's quite fascinating and it, you will struggle and you're wondering, this is so simple, it makes sense, but why is it that people aren't buying into it? Because yeah. you need to do that work during the project stage and get everyone into the uh, framework of it. Yeah, and you're sort of touching on the, call it the art of project management versus the science of it because- you, I'm you so sorry, I gotta do a shout out. Stuart's on the go! Stuart, I'm giving away. He's another YouTuber, by the way. Great channel to uh, check out. So, oh my gosh, Stuart, Stuart I just, I just saw your your name. So, hello, hello. See, it's, there a, it's a community. It's a community. Anyway, he is. Yeah, <laughs> he, he's, he, I've seen his name, and I, I am familiar yeah. with Stuart from his engagement yeah. on the platform. Yeah, here. he has really good stuff too. We're here with Adriana Girdler talking about how to become a better project manager. We've got a lot more to cover, so be sure to stick around. We'll be right back. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. When I wake up, well, I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be the man who wakes up next to you. When I go out. Hi, this is Eric Kimberling with Third Stage Consulting and your host of Transformation Ground Control. I want to encourage you to read our Guide to Organizational Change Management. It's a free report or a free guide that we published. It's one that I actually wrote that talks about best practices and lessons learned as it relates to change management. So as you know, on this podcast, we cover a lot of stuff related to the human sides of change, you know, organizational change management, including training, communications, org design, all kinds of stuff as it relates to change management. So if you're trying to learn more about change management, or you're looking for more direction and ideas on how to get started on your change management strategy and your overall journey, be sure to check out this guide. You can read it by scanning the QR code on the screen in front of you or in the links below for this particular podcast episode. You can find a link to uh, take you to the page that will allow you to register to go ahead and download that and read it for free. So be sure to check it out. It's the Guide to Organizational Change Management uh, written by yours truly. I hope you enjoy it. Let me know what you think and hope you enjoy the rest of this episode. Ta -da! 
Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 130. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham, and we're in the midst of a conversation with Adriana Girdler talking about how to become a better project manager. Let's jump back into it. Yeah. So, so I guess when you think back, so you've been doing this 25 years, you think back to when you first stumbled in accidentally into project management. Are there a couple key nuggets of things that you really wish you knew back then that you, you know now? If you could go back and do it all over, you might do it a little bit differently or, or you know, upskill a little bit faster in a couple of key areas. Yeah. You know what? I would have really learned facilitation first. Uh, I don't think people recognize that when you're a project manager, your secondary role is a facilitator. And there's two types of facilitation that you do. There's meeting facilitation. So you got to be really good at meetings. Why? Guess what? Most of your projects are all about meetings. Like that's how you execute on projects. Now it's not a meeting of an update. It's a meeting on, okay, what are resolutions? Where this, you know, where, where are we from a perspective of what's going on? Have we come up? Is there an approval, et cetera? So you have to really learn how to control meetings because I don't know about some of you, it's really easy for some meetings to get out of control. And then all of a sudden you're spending a couple of meetings to address an issue that if you just understood how to facilitate a meeting well and establish those rules and boundaries, which you can do immediately at the beginning of a meeting to really nip anyone who's trying to, you know, has a hidden agenda and wants to take the agenda off track. You can kind of like nip those things in the bud and keep things on track. That's your job. Secondary thing is you are a brainstorming facilitator and that's very specific. So, you know, I think that's something that, you know, again, in my earlier years, I really thought, oh, I, you know, here, I got a project. I did all the necessary documentation. I have my I didn't realize it was a baseline. Here's my project plan. Let's execute it and we're done. And it's like, right. no, that is your baseline project plan. Baseline. Baseline means it will change. Baseline means as of today with the information I have and all the due diligence I've done in advance of, I now have this baseline of what I think is going to have happen. As we start to execute, things pop up on the surface and we realize, oh my goodness, we can't do this. We can't do that. We have to change this. There's a supply chain issue. So I can't bring that in time. I got to shift schedules or I got to change direction or whatever it may be in order to keep my scope, time and budget. So that, that becomes really interesting. And that's where you have to, and this, this is where I think a lot of project managers, they don't do it. It's your job as a project manager to fill in the gaps and make sure the strategy of the organization and ultimately your project comes to fruition from a strategic standpoint. It is not your subject matter experts are great at executing tactically and they will do it. But you need to bring in the overarching umbrella of strategy and you have to help facilitate sessions. So there are times like, for example, for digital transformation, what's the biggest disconnect is between the business requirements and software engineers who are developing and designing. And a lot of times what the software engineers will say, and I get their perspective is like, hey, business, tell me what I need. And the business is like, well, I freaking know nothing about software. I don't know what I need. Help me out. Tell me what I need. And so what happens is business thinks they give what they need. Digital software is like, oh, great. I'm just going to build to what you tell me to build. And then all of a sudden the business is like, whoa, wait a minute. I need more than that. Didn't you think about it? Help me out. So there's this, there's this disconnect because a business really doesn't know what they need. They have ideas and concepts. It's supposed to be this collaborative framework. So as a project manager, you have to go in and you have to brainstorm these sessions. You have to brainstorm these requirements. You know, you have to help both sides of the group to make sure that everything is really being looked at. That is what happens in really good projects. And then you do that throughout the life cycle of the project because there may be other things that pop up that you have to brainstorm brainstorm solutions for. So learning how to facilitate, oh my goodness, freaking huge. 
Sorry, I shouldn't. That's yeah. like my swear word, which I would actually. I swear a lot more than that. But anyway, I was going to say I'm, that's your. That's, your I, that's my version. clean. That's my PG version. <laughs> no, that's funny. Well, you know, you're you're touching on though uh, a couple things. One is that you know you, you can be a project manager and check all the things on your on your checklist and hit all your milestones and on paper you could have a quote unquote successful project. Mm-hmm. But if you don't do the things you just described, a couple of things you described, you described facilitation. And then a moment ago, you described sort of getting the buy-in of the organization. Those are two art, you know, it's more of the art of project management versus the science of project management, which is a topic I'm really fascinated by. Cause I think a lot of project managers tend to focus on the science yeah. of project management. Did I hit a milestone? Did I complete a task? Yes or no. But they don't necessarily understand the shades of gray of, yeah, we completed this milestone, but we didn't do it very well. Or we didn't do it well enough to really say that we can declare victory. And and knowing that is like, how do you do that as a project manager? You know what I mean? Like as far as knowing that, yeah, technically we completed this task, but we really didn't. So that's experience, right? And then when when you said to me, what what do I, what I wish I knew back when that I know now, and that would be to be, to understand more about team dynamics, because Mm -hmm. I, again, like where I am today, believe you me, is a lot of trial and error a lot of trial and error. So, you know, why now when I go into projects, I really am succinct. I can go very quickly. I can organize. In fact, people tell me I make it look easy all the time. I'm like, okay, just recognize I have over 25 plus years of experience doing this. So I see patterns. That's my engineering mind. So I've seen patterns. So I know what to put in place for these patterns. I've seen this stuff. It just so happens to have a different you know, deliverable. It just so happens to have different departments, but I promise you the patterns are still there. So if I understood a little bit more of team dynamics psychology, which by the way, I love, I actually read now a lot of, a lot of, a lot of psychology because again, I could have the perfect framework, all the right documents, but if I still have a team member who's not delivering again, project managers, no one reports into you. Nobody reports into you yet. You have to report into all these steering committees, senior executives, ensure things are getting right. So how do you motivate people who have other activities on their plate as well? Not 100% of your project. And how do you get them motivated? And so that's where I would really talk to the psychology, the understanding, emotional intelligence, picking up on cues. I've gotten more information through body language than I do through vocally. And and it's something where with virtual meetings and global teams, it's sometimes difficult when everyone has their camera off. Right. Right. So good. Yeah. So little things like that, like turn your camera on. Yeah. And again, there's people who are like, no. Yes. I don't have to. It's my choice. My background is messy. I'm like, well, you know, and it's an interesting dilemma for organizations because I do give people choice. I explain why I'm asking. So that's probably the big thing is I do a lot of whys. Here's why we're doing it. Here's why I'm asking you to do this. And then people kind of get it. I go, look, I get more information from you with your camera on. I can see whether you're agreeing with me or disagreeing with me, but I'm letting you know for all the cameras off and everyone's going, yes, Adriana, yes, Adriana, yes, Adriana. Then I know there's some of you who have no clue what you're saying yes to. Like, I, I, I know that because I then have to do these extra meetings after the fact. And I'm like, seriously, I'm an efficiency person. Like, right. that's a waste. We deem that a waste in the system. <laughs> right. And now you're, way. it's, yeah, like now I have to do, oh, seriously. So, you know, for smaller core teams, great. I find the larger teams, there's a little more challenge with it. And I, I, I feel for organizations because, you know, in all honesty, when you're in the office, do you like hide in the corner and turn your back to everyone because you don't want to show your face? 
when you're around a boardroom table for a meeting? Do you do that? Yeah, no. No, <laughs> yeah. no. So why is that acceptable virtually? Right. It's still a meeting. It's just that it's a tool in the technology we're using. It's it's fascinating. If you're if you're doing work in a meeting, then you shouldn't be at that meeting. Right. Well, I was just going to say, I think <laughs> that's why I mean? people are multitasking. Yeah. So that's why they yeah. don't want to be on camera necessarily. Yeah. Um, well, and, and if that's the case, be honest and, you know, say to the facilitator, which is why I talk about facilitation. You have to know who to invite, what exactly you're doing, what's your agenda, because if people know that your meetings are productive and have a purpose, they will join and they will turn the camera on and they will do what they need to do. If they feel it's just the same old, same old, like a status update meeting, or we're just going through the motions of stuff, then they won't, they won't turn it on. So there's something where you have to look to yourself and say, how much am I contributing to this issue as well? So, you know, I always say, um, as, as I said earlier on, you know, always put your best foot forward, do the best job you can for the day. But on the flip side of that as well, you have to always ask yourself too, am I part of creating what the issue is right now? Let's say with like meetings and everyone having their camera off, right? Is it a right. culture thing? Is it, you know, is it just people on my team? Do I have to have some one-on-ones? And this would probably be going back to your original question. I wish when I was younger, I had the courage and knew how to properly address challenges. Cause I think there was a part of me that would ignore challenges. And I see that a lot in the younger generation is they don't know how to address challenges. And instead of addressing them and learning it, cause it's a skill set, a very powerful skill set for all relationships, professional relationships, personal relationships, they walk away. Hmm. Right. They walk yeah. away or they don't address it. So it's, it's very, it's very interesting. So, you know, again, that's that whole psychology, how, you know, how can I properly respectfully and professionally, Eric, challenge you? And, and address a difficult situation because you're not delivering. That's not right. easy to do when you're young and you have someone who's older than you, who's a subject matter expert on your team, right? Right. So, but there's a way to go about doing it. Yeah. Way to go about doing it. Yeah. Well, and back to what you were saying about facilitation and sort of understanding and asking questions, you know, those sorts of things can oftentimes draw out um, you know, sources of misalignment or, um, it, it builds credibility too, by, by asking those questions of facil yeah. facilitating well. Um, we're here with Adriana Girdler talking about how to become a better project manager. We've got a lot more to cover, so be sure to stick around. We'll be right back. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. If you are involved in any sort of digital transformation or business change initiative, you will want to download the 2021 Digital Transformation Report. With its comprehensive overview of business and technology trends and best practices, this report is a must-have guide for any transformation project or executive team. Download this free report by visiting Third Stage Consulting at thirdstage-consulting.com. You can also visit our website to learn more about us or download independent reports, videos, and other best practices. Again, visit thirdstage-consulting.com today to learn how to take your transformation to the third stage of success. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 130. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. And we're in the midst of a conversation with Adriana Girdler talking about how to become a better project manager. Let's jump back into it. 
Here's a question from, uh, well, first of all, let me start with a comment before I get to the question, but this is from, uh, from YouTube, this comment here, um, that is this energy from this live is infectious. So thank you for being so infectious, uh, Adriana. Yeah. I'm going to give yeah, you seriously. most of the credit. I'm going to give you 90% of the credit for that because your energy level is definitely higher than mine. I just, um, I love life. No, like seriously, I love what I do and, and I love being able, thank you for listening, by the way, everybody. So I love that everyone's here and they want to learn. So I, I'm, I'm a willing teacher. <laughs> right. Well, this is great. And then Laik has a really interesting uh, question that I think uh, might be interesting to hear your thoughts here. And I'll, I'll have to hide it to get through the whole question, but he says, as an external project management team, how do you ensure that you're aware of and manage the highest paid person's opinion effect? Navigating these situations can be quite political, even for internal teams. How do you how do you handle that so that yeah. people have the most the most so, impact in an organization? So it's it's interesting. Uh, that's a, it's a really good question. Can you put that question back up just so yes. I can yeah Let me see it uh, again? Because there's there a couple is. of things I want to unpack here. So um, the highest paid person opinion. So we have to look at that from two angles. Okay, there's the is it an executive team member, right? Like a VP, a president. Or is it a subject matter expert who happens to be the highest paid uh, subject matter expert who has a lot of knowledge? So there's a couple of things I want to deal with here. Let's unpack the easier one, which is an executive. All right. Our job in an organization is to present as project, this is my personal opinion, the pros and cons and projects to present the issues, to make sure everything is aligned with strategy and to ensure that we get the deliverable through. And I'm going to do it collectively and collaboratively with my team and ensure that we all buy into what we need to do and to do it in a way where we all have fun as well, right? We all have this good collaboration amongst us so that we can ensure a successful project. Um, that's my job. And my job is to report up to the, um, executive team. So if I have an executive team member and their job is about strategy, vision, to ensure that the organization moves forward. So if they have very specific specific things that they want to have executed, I, I do have to listen to that, right? And, and, and you have to understand that they're steering the ship. Okay. They're right. steering the ship. They get paid to steer the ship. Okay. You may not agree with where they're going. Okay. Right. You don't have to, it's not your job to agree. Right. But you know, the, the thing is they have more insight than maybe that you realize. So what I like to do, and this is what's really important with project management is it's really critical with the senior executives up front to get all your buy-in, to get all of the ins and outs, the expectations, your scope template and your charter and get sign off. I literally make people sign my document. Mm -hmm. And I do a priority matrix as well, which again is with a senior executive to say, okay, what is my full constraint on this project, scope, time, or budget? And again, I can't have two constraints. I can only have one. What can I, you know, what is it that I have to optimize? And the, what I mean by that is, look, at. I want you to keep it, but if you have to, you know, flex with it, then by all means, I'm okay if you flex with that. So it would be the remaining two. And then what do I have complete flexibility with? Because I need to be able to, on the turn of a dime, be able to do stuff. And so when I do that all up front, and this is, again, the difference with really good project managers is there's a strategy, right? I get that all up front. I get sign off. I, my steering committee is made before I actually get my team members together, by the way. That's really important because there's all this approval and buy-in. And if you do all of this up front, I'm not going to get midway a senior executive saying, I want you to change this and I want you to do that. Why? Because we've already come up with all the agreements. But if I still have a senior executive who does that, 
guess what? I have a change control form, not a change management. This is change control. I have a simple one pager that's in my Slate project management program that I use. And that becomes, it's, it's not only a, a great tool, but it's a resource because a lot of times I will then give that to the executive to have them fill out, or I'll sit down with the executive and we'll fill it out together. And a lot of those simple questions, it's like, what is it that you want done? Why you want done? How much is it going to be? All of a sudden you start asking all these questions and they're, and they're kind of like nine times out of 10, ah, it's not that important. That's right. not that important because you're making them think. You're making right. them think. My job is not to tell them yes or no. My job is to say, let's pull it out so we understand the impact it is to the project because my job is the overarching timeline of the project, the whole gamut of the project. He or she does not know the details like I do. That's my job. So now I'm just sharing with them, like, you need to understand. Let's pull this out. Okay, what are you willing to give up? Because you can't have it all, right? You're doing this in the middle of the project. So again, so that's the technique that I use to really, A, nip things in the bud before they come to fruition. I have my scope and my charter, which I've already got approval from. So I bring it back. Like, why you want to do it? Because we've already said, you know, said we were going to do A and now you want to change and do B. So, you know, that becomes the easier way to manage because you do the right process and framework. So I hope I've answered it from that perspective. Now there's number two. What do you well, do? Well, I was just going to say, just to add to what you said, I think you, you had some really important points, which is you use the words you can't have at all. And you also yeah. talked about how um, you're, you're really enforcing sort of a, a buy-in ownership sign-off process that makes this not about you, the project manager. You, the project manager, are responsible for these decisions because you're not. I think you, what you're saying is that, it, yeah, you can't have it all. There's always going to be trade-offs in any decision you make in a project. And B, you, the project manager, should not necessarily be the ones making those decisions. You should be facilitating the decisions and, and kind of forcing the ownership of the rest of the organization. Yes. And I think that's a lot of us as project managers think, oh, okay, I have to, I have to take these unrealistic expectations that make no sense that there's that's impossible to deliver, but I have to figure out a way to go deliver that instead Which, of saying, hey, let's figure out what the trade-offs are here and go with that instead. That's a really good call out. And I think a lot of project managers do that. Oh my God, I now have to deliver on this. Why are you taking that on? Right. You don't get paid to take that on. You right. don't, you don't get paid. Leave you me, those executives, they're getting paid big bucks for a very good reason. And you have them on the steering committee for a very good reason. That's why I established that in the beginning. And, right. and I, and it's, it's, it's not an option. <laughs> you right. can't have it as an option. Um, so, you know, by, by doing that, it, it just, it diffuses a, a lot and there's, and there's techniques to go about it. And I actually talk about this in my, on my YouTube channel too. So if everyone is like, oh my goodness, whatever I'm saying, just go to my YouTube channel. Look at, I, I practice what I preach. Sometimes I feel like I'm a broken record. <laughs> this is the same thing over and over again. All right. But I do want to finish the question because I said, there's two prongs to this. There's the executive side of it. And I said, the executive was easier. People are probably going really dealing with executives. You don't go, yeah. When you set it up properly, like what I said. It's really easy. I've met so many executives wanting to change things because they had, I call it the whim, but it's, you know, they had an idea. That's, that's their role, right? They have ideas and they're visionaries for a reason. That's why they're in those roles. Right. Now, what do you do when you have the highest paid subject matter expert on your team who's saying, wait a minute. Now you have to understand a couple of things. I'm going to make some assumptions. Highest paid team member, usually someone has a lot of experience. Mm -hmm. 
usually has a lot of experience. When you're getting paid a lot more money than someone else, let's say for doing the same job, it's because they have a lot more experience. Um, they they know how to weather the storm. They've been through storms. And if they have to, they can you know come to the table and know how to deal with that. Those who kind of get paid less, yeah, they can execute in good weather, let's say, but when it comes to the storm, do they know how to do it, right? You get paid for the full gamut. We hope, like insurance, you don't have to use it, right? <laughs> right? But that's that's a difference. So that subject matter expert has a lot of pull and a lot of weight, actually, in a yeah. project team. And so, you know, when they start saying, no, we shouldn't do this, there's a couple of things that need to have. This is where your facilitation skills really come into play. This is where you stop everybody and you go, okay, wait a minute. Anna, Anna's the highest paid subject matter expert. Anna, you're, I'm hearing you. You do not want to move forward with this. It's, let's, let's talk it out, okay? What's going on in your experience that you feel this way? Because she obviously has a really good idea as to what's going on. Number two is after you kind of, that's where the psychology, that's where the people skills come into play. Number two is I'd probably, once we've discussed it, talked about collectively what we have to do, and I probably have to facilitate a brainstorming session around whatever it is that we're looking to change or do right? That's what I said, facilitation. So a lot of what I do as a project manager is to make sure that we're all being heard, listen, the really good ideas are coming out that's going to ensure the deliverable of, of the project. So that's how I would deal with, deal with that one question with the two different streams that pop right. up with it. That's great, great advice. And it's a great question too. And it's it's good to recognize that because I think what we're touching on here is sort of the the internal political forces that can derail a project if you don't know how to manage them, if you and you don't know how to push back tactfully and effectively on some of that, um, some of those internal dynamics, because those can really take over a project. I mean, I'm sure you've seen it too, where those internal politics and dynamics and misalignments and unrealistic expectations, all that stuff gets shoved onto the project manager. And then the oh project manager is in a no-win situation where no matter how good you are, you're not going to win in that situation if you don't do the things you just described as far as facilitating and overcoming those. At 100%, project management is not about executing on tactical tasks. It's part of it, but it's not project management. Project management is understanding strategically everything that you need to do from a scope, time, and budget perspective to bring a deliverable to fruition with a group of people and to do it in a way that's collaborative and respectful and to bring about the idea so you do it in good quality. So when you take it from that perspective, you look at things differently. So I'm collaborative. So let me put this in place. I'm the project manager. I, at some point, like I'm collaborative in nature with what I do, but I also let the team know at some point I, I, I have to say, stop, this is what we're doing. Like at some point, I also have to come in and be a decision maker. Right. And if, if there's something that we can't be, I can't be a decision maker with, or really it's not a decision for the team or myself to make, it's the job of the steering committee who that's their role in projects is to remove roadblocks, to do approvals and to ensure the strategy of the organization is being met within your project. Mm -hmm. Okay. You need to understand that. Um, then that is what becomes, uh, and I, and I, I'll escalate it. We first try to resolve things with our team always. If I can't resolve it with the team, that's when it gets escalated. And I usually tell the team, hey guys, you know what? If we can't resolve this, it's all good. Don't worry about it. You know, let's pull out what we need to have. Let's have the senior executives who get paid the big bucks. Let them make the decision. And believe you me, I document it all too, right? Because right. I've had that happen where I've had a senior executive, why did you do this? And I'm like, whoa, 
well, first of all, I document a lot. That's another very important skill set. <laughs> right, right. I document it and then I share and I have the paper trail. So it's it's now to a point where I do projects and I, I just say, guys, would you want to see it? Because of the paper trail. And they're like, right. no, no, no. We know, we know you have it, Adriana. We know you have it, right? Because I pull it out so many times and they're like, Ugh. so it's like, <laughs> be careful. Right. I it's getting documented. <laughs> and I say it, okay, yeah. guys, answer. What's the answer? Because it's getting documented, right? And those yeah. are just techniques because people forget, right? People forget. And it's just your well, job to and, remind. And when things get tough um, and these projects are always difficult, you know, if, if you're a project manager on a project, chances are it's a complex project. It's difficult. It involves change. A certain subset of the organization may not necessarily want to go through the change. So it becomes easy to start pointing fingers and looking for a scapegoat. And, and I hate to say it, but oh, yeah. as a PM, like part of your job has to be to CYA. Like how do you, everything you just described, even though that's not the intent of what you just described, it is a CYA or cover your ass mechanism, which is, Absolutely. no, I, I didn't make this decision. This wasn't my decision. This was your decision, the business's decision. And we are executing on that. And if we need to change it, then this is what it looks like. But you know what I mean? Like you're, you're sort of taking that bullseye off you personally and making about the organization. Well, yeah. I mean, I, you, you take away the emotional charge is, is what, so like when you prep things properly, you document things properly and you follow a really good framework and you follow the process, as I said, within my program, Slay Project Management, um, that then allows for you to have everything that you need at the proper place, time. So you can go in and you're right. Cover your arse. <laughs> Those that so offended easily. We'll, we'll change the words. Yeah. So, yeah, I, so okay. Because here's something what I, I don't think people realize work is work, right? We have great rapports and relationships with people, but my colleagues, they're not my family. They don't love me unconditionally. They have their issues. They have egos. They come to the, to the table with their own hidden agenda. So you know what, if, if I were to go in and think that everybody has my back, cause that's how it is. That's not the reality of life. I mean, you can take a look even at our personal social media. Like there's trolls who troll and they don't have your, like, come on. Like, so you have to be smart about things. That's all. Like you have to be smart. And that's just over the years of doing like, yeah, you know, making sure that you document cross the T's dot the I's, as I like to say, so that you can just, again, I don't get upset. There's, there's, I don't get emotionally charged. I used to, when I was younger, I took it very personally, very personally. As I get older, I have so much more patience and I don't take things personally anymore. Um, right. It's like, because I have a document, I'm like, well, wait a minute. Okay, let's go back to the beginning. Remember when we agreed to all of this, what changed? And then you start to, through psychology, you start to um, do the deeper dive and the dig to figure things out. And then, you know, again, that's what distinguishes really great project managers too, because project managers will start to think like executives and they start to think of it from a standpoint of the strategy. And let's go back to the strategy. If we want to decide to change something midway through, there's nothing wrong with that, by the way, if it's thought through properly. And all of the things that need to be taken into consideration are taken into consideration. You can't change scope on me and add more stuff and expect me to meet the same timeline and the same budget. Ain't freaking gonna happen. Right. And you know what? I'll tell an executive that. So you tell me magically, where's my wand? Because I want that for now the lotto for lotto right. max number. Because <laughs> I'm going to be awesome. I'm going to, you know. So like, where is it? Like, because you can't, you, anyone who understands, they know that that's not possible, right? Like there's constraints. So yeah. So anyway, I feel like right. I'm digressing. <laughs> no, no, this is, this is, 
this is important <laughs> stuff. And I, and I would also argue that um, maybe organizations you work with don't always love you unconditionally, but I think the audience here loves you unconditionally. Oh. We'll, we'll have we'll have them comment on uh, well, do, do we love you, Adriana unconditionally. <laughs> My family loves me unconditionally. My dog loves me unconditionally. And that's about it. <laughs> that's about it. <laughs> that's funny. We're here with Adriana Girdler talking about how to become a better project manager. We've got a lot more to cover, so be sure to stick around. We'll be right back. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. Interested in working for a company that truly values your unique skills and experience? Here at Third Stage, we don't hire based on resumes alone. We look at the full candidate, experience, and willingness to provide excellent service for our clients. Within a technology independent and agnostic consulting firm, you have the opportunity to learn across industries with a diverse group of clients. Our consultants also have the opportunity to diversify their portfolio and learn across technology systems. If you're interested in joining a high growth entrepreneurial organization, please reach out to us at work at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 130. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Tyler Cheatham, and we're in the midst of a conversation with Adriana Girdler talking about how to become a better project manager. Let's jump back into it. Well, a couple of audience comments here. Um, hello, this is from Peter on YouTube. Hello from North Carolina. This is exactly what I've been waiting for. Great episode so far. So thank you awesome. uh, for that, Peter. Um, this is from um, Toyin from uh YouTube. Oh, Hello from New Jersey. Thank you, yeah. Eric, for all you do. Your channel is my go-to anytime of European yeah, related do, projects. You do great work, Eric. Absolutely. Oh, well, thank you. You're welcome. Um, so do you, by the way. Thank you. Um, oh, and then uh, this is this is just really interesting. These are more comments that I think are worth getting to. This is from Prashi on LinkedIn. Aspiring project manager, these sessions help me a lot to understand practical problems and handle scenarios based on experience. And I think that's a great summary of what you just described for us. Adriana, which is a very complex situation that we as PMs oftentimes find ourselves in. And hopefully that that helps uh, in that. Um, here's a question I have to get to because it's a, it's going to be a trigger for a lot of the audience and maybe you, Adriana. It's definitely going to be a trigger for me. Um, okay. And this is from uh, Twana on LinkedIn. Has the Agile methodology decreased the failure of waterfall projects? Okay. So I'm going to say stop comparing Agile and waterfall. Stop it. Ooh, I like Stop it. Stop it. Because <laughs> some projects like construction must, must do waterfall. Okay, Adriana, what are you talking about? That's not cool. I can't, Waterfall's I can't, not cool anymore. <laughs> I can't build a framework. I can't build a frame of a house on no foundation. Right. That's that's waterfall. So guess what I have to do? I have to dig my hole first. And I cannot proceed until I then get the frame, like the, 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 the foundation done. Then after the foundation is the only time I can start framing. Now inside the house, once the framing is all done, there may be some portions of my activities I can do in an agile methodology way. Right. Right. But this is what the problem is. I don't know why people are pitting against the two. They're not, it's dependent. Honestly, what I, when I, when I find that, it's like someone wants to say, oh, we're better, we're better. It's not about being better. Be smart. Think of 
what tools as a project manager, you take a step back. I use agile. I use waterfall. I use hybrid. I use whatever I need to use to make sure that the project and the people on the project are successful. That's my goal. That's what project managers need to think about is I have to make sure this de deliverable is successful. So what methodology should I use now? Like Everything. One of the things I find to be very difficult for agile methodology, and just so you know, I'm a master blackout Lean Six Sigma and my world too. A lot of people don't get it. A lot of people don't get this world. And it's a paradigm shift because it's a different way of thinking. Agile is a completely different way of thinking. And most organizations are not set up to support a true agile methodology. So they do hybrid methodologies. So that's why don't, don't pit it. Don't say one is better. It's dependent upon who you are as an individual, uh, your organization, the support the organization does, and the type of project that you're doing. That's all. That's all. Right. Agile, yes, is has its benefits, 100%. And for certain projects, absolute must. Just like Waterfall has its benefits. And for some projects are an absolute must. And then there's hybrid methodology. I'm seeing a lot of people doing hybrid methodology. So don't think of it from that perspective. As a project manager, you need to understand multiple methodologies. That's why I say, and this is for project managers, don't forget, Agile Waterfall is how you execute. Execute, not plan. Mm -hmm. Execute. Right. And in projects, there's initiation, planning, execution, monitor control, closing. So you still have this initiation and planning that still needs to be done, still needs to be looked at. This is where you look at strategically, because if I was looking at the project, I'd probably most people most. OK, I'm totally that's a personal opinion. So I'm going to stop it. Um, <laughs> some project managers start the project that gets to Houston phase and that's where they get in trouble. That's all. Mm, so yeah. you have to understand there's a framework, there's a strategy. There's a strategy to it, right? And again, yeah. pick whatever methodology is going to work for you. So I hope that that's an answer that nobody was expecting. Yeah, I I love that answer. I mean, it's it's sort of like knowing you've got this tool kit or a yeah. toolbox, and you just have to know which tools to bring in at what time. And in one size does not does not fit all. And I think that's a great way to put it. Yeah, I know a lot of man. Can you imagine doing construction projects in an agile way? <laughs> yeah, like the plumber shows up on day one. He's he's ready to build. The plumbing shit. You got no <laughs> foundation. Total failure. Right? Yeah, but is that going to deliver you a house with plumbing faster if the plumber shows up on day one? No, probably not. No, no, no. Right. So it's it's yeah. interesting. And anyway, so again, it's really dependent upon the project. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Great yeah. point. Great question too. Thank you for asking that. Um, yeah, it is a great question because I think a lot of people uh, don't know the answer to it. And there really is no answer. It just, it's a tool in your toolbox. Right. Right. Which I, I like that. Yeah. Feel free to borrow it. You can, uh, you can steal that from me. Totally um, well. Free of charge. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is from, I'm going to shorten his name just because I don't know how to pronounce it. And I apologize, but I'll call him Singh. This is from Singh on LinkedIn. And it's more of a comment, but I think it's a really good sort of recap or a summary reinforcement of something you said, Adriana, distributing responsibility does tend to bring expectations down to earth. It allows for Eric's favorite quote, what do you want to be when you grow up to flourish as realizing you can't have it all forces stakeholders to add more thought to what they, let me hide it so I can show it or read it. Um, realizing it forces stakeholders to add more thought to what they consider to be a requirement. So, um, so it is a matter of, you know, as a project manager, I think what Singh's getting at here is your, your job is to really understand 
you know, what the vision and what the goals of the organization are and how this project can align with that and making sure that you stay in sync and that you do reinforce and understand and reinforce what it is you want to be when you grow up as an organization. But that's not on you, the project manager, to define yourself as a, as a project leader. And I think a lot of us feel like maybe we should have to do that. Um, but it gets back to that point of getting that business involvement. Yeah. And it's interesting because there's a technique to it. It's in the framework, right? And so this is why when I get my marching orders for a project, I don't do a kickoff. It's not the first thing that I do. I have to do preparatory work. I do my initiation stuff. I, I build my steering committee. I get a confirmation for the priority matrix. Uh, you know, I, I, I understand what are we going to be delivering. I prep my charter. I baseline stuff. I then do my kickoff. And I present to my team a package. Hey guys, here's a baseline of what we have to do. And my kickoff meetings are not one hour. Sometimes they're a full day. It's like a workshop facilitation. And I bring them, hey, let's get all into agreement. Are we in agreement with what has to go here? Now you tell me, what do you feel on your subject matter expertise? Because I've already you know, figured out who I need to have on there. Have we missed anybody? What is it that you feel that you're going to deliver on? And now I want you to build out your plan on how you're going to deliver on this. That's by an accountability from day one makes a huge, huge difference. It's yeah. a huge difference. And it's quite powerful. And when I, you know, that's why I love starting projects versus coming in and fixing projects. Yeah. <laughs> fixing projects midway is a different beast and it's harder. Uh, it can be done, but it's not the same as when you can start everything from, I call it the design stage, right? Like you're designing everything and you're getting it all going, but yeah. You can do it right from the start versus oh my goodness fix everything that's broken that's yeah that's efficiency in me oh my god i can actually do this right once first time <laughs> yeah i can imagine that right? driving you crazy the project cleanups even though i'm sure you're good at it the, i imagine it does it does it's like oh why why do i have if to you clean just would have done a b and c we oh, wouldn't, be in you this wouldn't mess. have to do no and that's why and interesting that's why i created slay because i saw the pattern over and over and over again it's like oh my goodness that's why 70% of projects fail. They don't understand the framework. They understand a methodology. They don't understand the full framework on how to truly execute. And I'm telling you, there's stuff that people don't think about. It's that holistic perspective, start to finish. And it's not just the tactical stuff. So, right. Yeah. Here's a question from YouTube that's uh, somewhat specific, but it touches on an underlying broader issue here. Mm -hmm. And the question here is I work in post merger integration. Yeah. Any advice for specific to the merger integration space? Oftentimes teams are emotional and burned out. So I guess in general, whether it's a merger integration or yeah. any sort of project that involves a lot of change and people are burned out, mm -hmm. which is a real thing that you and I have both seen a lot. Yeah. How do you how do you deal with that as a project manager? You've got a, a team that's going through a lot since COVID and all these changes that are happening in the organization. Now you're throwing in new technology or a merger integration or whatever. How do you how do you ensure that the how do you how do you manage a team that is on the verge of burnout? Well, it's it's interesting because I, I think for me, I have the advantage of being a consultant. And what I mean by that is I talk to all the senior executives. They usually they're the ones who usually bring me in. And and so I understand what's happening strategically. So I already have all these conversations with them, like, why are you doing all this stuff? Blah, 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 blah. Because there's it goes beyond projects at this point. This is really of what are you trying to achieve as an organization? Where's your priority list of the things that you need to achieve? Because not everything can be number one and you can't accomplish it all. So this is now going beyond projects. This is now a strategy of senior executives. And I see this is another problem because I do strategy work with senior executives too. And, and, and this is where 
they're like, well, just, you know, no, we have to get all this stuff done, but they don't understand that again, they have to set things up. They have to prioritize. They should be putting things in a priority matrix as well. So they can understand, can our resources do this? Um, Cause you're right. Just because you finish it doesn't mean it's a good outcome. Because if people are burnt out and they feel overwhelmed and they're just getting the necessary things done, your outcome output of what you just finished is half-assed. And then they wonder why it didn't go over well. Well, what's your goal? Is it the quality? Of of course, everybody says that, but yet they don't want to put the energy and effort or reevaluate or rejig or take things off the plate, put it in for a later date. Because that takes courage to stand up and saying, hey, we can't do all of this. But, you know, we know inherently we can't do all of it. So I don't under, you know, sometimes I, I do challenge senior executives, like, why do you think you can do all of this? And a lot of times they just don't understand the amount of energy, work and effort. And this is where it becomes for project managers uh, and a really good PMO to be at that level with the senior executive to share with them, like, look, there's only X amount of hours in a day. There's only X amount of resources that we have. If you really want to do all this stuff, then we need to hire externally. Uh, consultants, uh, temporary um, workers, contractors in order to get this stuff done. So again, you know, that's why really understanding priority matrixes, what's, what is our constraint? What do we want to optimize and what are we really flexible with is actually a technique that you can use, not just for projects, but you can use it with everything. Like, honestly, like when you're everything, you should be looking at, you should be looking at the lens of work from a priority matrix perspective. You know, mm-hmm. and even when you get asked to put more on your plate, like let's say you're reporting to a manager and you have multiple things going on, you get asked to do more. Yeah, sure. Okay, can I do this? But then it may impact something else. So you just have to renegotiate that. Like, let's just take a look at my workload overall. Happy to take that on, but you have to understand my timeline may be impacted. So I may need to shift this project that you want done in three weeks. I may now need to have six weeks in order to get it done because you want me to do this new thing that you're asking me to do today. So it becomes a skill set and a technique that really for me is just natural. And if someone can, um, you know, adopt that and really know how to work it, it, it will make your life really easy because look at you just because you're dumped on doesn't mean you go, okay. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> you know? Just, just no. accept it. But professionally, but listen, you don't have to be an ass. Be 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 professional, be respectful, and just show show the strategy behind your thought. That will get you so much kudos. People will remember that. Mm-hmm. And then that's how you, if you choose to and want to rise the ranks, that's one of the ways you do it by showing your strategic mindset. By the way, with artificial intelligence, we all have to become more strategic in our mindset. Because becoming really good tactically, um, AI is going to take care of that. It's how good are we with creativity, with leading people and understanding the strategy in order to get things done. Because things are going to happen faster, too, because AI is really fast. So just as a little FYI, this is another topic I'm getting into because I'm seeing it over and over. And I'm like, okay, okay. Yeah, it's going to force us to think differently, not just as project managers, but just in general in in the workplace. Yep, yeah, a hundred percent. So, and if, yeah. and if you don't know artificial intelligence yet, uh, know it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, you can get used chat to GPT, Bard. Yeah. yeah. Bing, and it's, Bing it's AI. a consumer and any of us as consumers yeah. can go get that technology and start messing around with it and learning yeah. it. And, uh, that's the beauty of it too. Yeah. Um, so I guess just to sort of tie this all together, um, by the way, I was just thinking, I feel like this is probably the fastest 
uh, our interview. I'm like, I could go on. <laughs> I mean, I feel like we're about 10 minutes in. We're just getting started, but I look up and all of a sudden we're an hour I know, in. I know, I know. <laughs> That's what I'll happens when you're having fun. Yeah, yeah, exactly. uh, but I guess just to tie it all together, um, maybe help us understand um, how, how can we as PMs upskill and maybe tell us a little bit more about your, your SLAY um, training as well. So I have a firm belief, and this is from my efficiency background of continuous improvement. I, I believe up until the last moment that I breathe, I can constantly look to improve on something. And so one of the things that um, you uh, I'm going to put out there is slay project management. So if you look up adrianagirdler.com, it'll bring you to a slay project management page. Even if you look at my corporate uh, page, Cornerstone Dynamics, dot uh, com slay will be there too but it is a resource tool practical project management tool that gives you all the templates the frameworks short bite videos on how to do things it's 25 percent theory 75 percent practical based on pmi principles and it's something where the techniques that i use myself that get complimented on all the time and it's not just about projects it's about um like the tasks it's about the whole process and what to do and stories and scenarios behind them as well because a lot of the templates are templates you fill out but they're techniques and tools as well that you pull out midway through projects for whatever reason if a scenario pops up so that's just uh, something that i've have i developed uh what i'm proud of it's lifetime access we're constantly adding to it it's a resource so we're actually uh developing and doing some new additions to it so those who are slayers slay students right now they get it they always get it once you sign up you sign up for life so I'm really, I'm excited. I'm excited about that. So that's, and I, I think you're going to put, uh, you know, the links under the video. It's adriana.com. My YouTube channel talks a lot about to it as well. And if you go to the about section, you can uh, see it, see it there as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Kyler from our marketing team just dropped it in the, uh, in the LinkedIn stream and we'll, we'll drop it in Perfect. the YouTube and other uh, streams as well. Um, and by the way, you know, if you're not, even if you just want to try out Adriana and maybe learn more about how she thinks and that sort of thing, just check out the YouTube channel. I mean, I, there's a lot of good free stuff there. And then of course, if you like that, then, you know, the next step is to, yeah. is to move towards the, the, the project management, the more formal uh, course that she has. So if you like this energy level, why not bring it home with you? Right. <laughs> and, and bring it to your projects and bring it to your everyday application. So, all right. Thank you, Adriana. Great to have you on the show. As always, a lot of high energy. I do agree with the audience on that. The The energy was infectious and uh, loved having you on here. And hopefully we can maintain that energy level through the rest of this episode. So that's our, our goal here today. Uh, that's, it's been a high bar that's been set there. But uh, Kyler and I have a couple things we want to debrief and sort of touch on as it relates to the conversation with Adriana. So be sure to stick around. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. Just tell me what you've done. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com.
Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 130. My name is Eric Kimberling, here with Kyler Cheatham. And Kyler, we just had this uh, great conversation with Adriana. Uh, I feel like there's a lot more we didn't get to that we should have gotten to, and we'll have to have her back on to really dive into that topic in more detail. But in that hour-ish conversation, we covered a lot related to sort of upskilling and becoming a better project manager. What, what were some of your thoughts and takeaways from that conversation? Well, I mean, it's it's so refreshing to always listen to people that are genuinely and authentically passionate about what they do and the community that they build. Uh, so I, th- I think that's why she creates such a great impact in the digital marketplace. So I'm incredibly grateful for all of your insights. I think you both need to do like a co-coaching program. Um, and I know some of the, the commenters agreed with me <laughs> there. Um, but it's, I mean, it's, it's such a interesting approach, her approach. Like first she talked about the team dynamic psychology and it almost makes me think that project managers a lot of times need to have a degree in psychology or, you know, an understanding of interpersonal relationships kind of as a baseline because some of the best project managers that we've seen here at third stage really have that emotional intelligence and people skill abilities. Amanda, who is later on this episode, is another one who's a, you know, a a really proficient project manager. So I think that's so interesting of understanding that and then kind of layering up of explaining the why. And that's really kind of the thesis of understanding human psychology is there needs to be a purpose. There needs to be a why or a motivator in making sure that everyone's aligned and united around a common goal with specifically within an enterprise organization. Yeah. And that's, that's a philosophy or belief that she and I both agree on strongly. I mean, I I strongly believe in the need to understand psychology, not just as a project manager, but as a consultant, as a project team member, as a, you know, executive steering committee member, whatever your role might be on a digital transformation, especially if you're, you're heavily involved in the human side of change or the operational side of change. Um, understanding that psychology is, is super important. I think it's an underrated understanding. Yeah. And some of, of my favorite um, content of Adriana's is her meeting management that she kind of touched on here. And it reminded me of when I used to work at a Fortune 500 company, I ran a sales channel. And it's actually where I met my husband, Adam Cheatham, who actually works here on the third stage team as well. And he used to keep all of our systems meetings in IT to 30 minutes long. And I always, it was so frustrating to me because I was always like, I have so much more to say. And he would always look at me before we were married and say like, I know because you're going to go in here and give a whole speech and convince all of these IT professionals about how they should do what you want. And I'm like, yeah, because that's kind of what I do. But that meeting management of understanding each stakeholder's identity and what they're going to be able to communicate is such an important thing, especially when you're that documentation of changing scope which is so important, especially for someone that was in sales like me that could easily go in there and say like, this is my agenda and this is what we want to do. Uh, so I think she's, you know, really, really smart in, in making sure that that documentation is, is understood. Yeah. I love how she described that. I mean, even though it's such a basic sort of project management 101 sort of thing, there's so many project managers that don't do that, that don't document clearly, that don't get the sign off and the formal, the formality of it. And again, I think, it gets back to that thread of the conversation where we were talking about agile and, you know, is agile, does that help in, improve failure rates? Um, I think the agile mindset is causing probably unintentionally. I, I think it's mostly unintentional, but it's causing a lot of project managers and other 
project team members, a lot of technical types to, to skimp on the documentation because in the name of agile, you know, trying to get technology out there faster and pivot and get feedback from users and all that stuff, all important stuff, but you still have to document and, you, and, and I think we've lost some of that, that, um, focus on documentation, but you know, the way she described it too, is that it, it helps her and it helps us as project managers in this profession to ensure that we are, uh, getting the buy-in and the commitment and the decisions from the business, because no, you or I could not go in and make all these decisions ourselves and be successful. We need the business and all the stakeholders to, to have their skin in the game. And that's, that's a great way to do it. That, that whole documentation and sign off process that she described. Absolutely. And especially if you need to do something like change scope, as she said, like we can absolutely change scope, but let's look at why we're doing that the cost of doing that and the benefit analysis of doing that. And then many times you see executives say, oh, I didn't realize that that was going to um, pivot. But a lot of times people don't have that conversation because they are the executive, right? So we do whatever they say and that kind of authoritarian process can lead to a lot of implementation failures and being able to just have an informal professional conversation around this is what we've documented, but you have that hard evidence to understand, you know, what's needed to be most productive in the process. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's so, so true and well said. Well, what a great conversation. Thank you for sharing your insight and thank you to Adriana. Um, she has such great content. If you don't follow her on YouTube, her and Eric have a lot of synergies. Um, so I highly recommend um, reaching out to her or following her as she has some, some great content. So thank you both for that amazing insight. Yeah. And she's one of uh, many guests that have been on the show that I just found over social media. I, I didn't know who she was. I didn't know her personally until I found her YouTube channel. So uh, be sure to check it out. If you like that energy level, especially her YouTube videos are, are equally energetic and she has a way of being very um, intense, but in a positive way. She's she's a very intense, focused person and she delivers uh, as such. And, and I think that's uh, uh, very powerful. She's got a great channel. So be sure to check that out. Um, well, good. Well, well, thanks uh, to Adriana for being here and uh, look forward to our next guest as well. You're going to sit down with uh, Amanda Patterson, uh, Kyler, to talk about IT gotchas in digital transformation. And this will be an interesting conversation because so many times when we're going through transformation and, and even on this podcast, you know, when we, when we talk about transformation, we're talking so much about project management, organizational change management, maybe even process improvement, whatever it might be. Um, we don't talk a ton about the technical pieces, although Certainly the software chosen, the software deployed is very important, but we don't talk about those IT organizational gotchas and those those little nuances within the IT group and within IT in general that can really derail a project. So we'll get into more of the technical aspect of gotchas and challenges in transformation. So we'll have Amanda on the show in here in just a moment. We're going to take a quick break, uh, but uh, we'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control. We'll be right back. Are you looking to stay ahead of the curve in the ever-changing landscape of digital transformation? Then you need our newly released 2023 Digital Transformation Report. This comprehensive report covers the latest trends, technologies, and strategies to ensure your digital transformation is optimized for success. The 2023 Digital Transformation Report is packed full of proven methodologies and insights from experts in the independent digital transformation field. You'll also receive practical insights on how to implement digital transformation strategies within your unique organization. 
This free report is available for download on our website at thirdstage-consulting.com under our thought leadership section. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 130. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday, streaming to YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as audio podcast platforms throughout the world. I'm excited for our third and final guest here today, uh, Adriana, or not Adriana, Adriana was already on, you, you, we already heard from her, um, but Amanda. So this is Amanda Patterson, who is from the Third Stage Consulting team. She's been on this podcast multiple times in the past and uh, has been with the company for several years now. She's one of the early early team members back when we first started the company. So she's been around for quite some time and excited to have her back on the show. And you're going to sit down with her, Kyler, to talk about IT gotchas during digital transformation. So I'll pass it on to you to lead that conversation, Kyler. Well, thanks, Eric. Yeah, excited for this conversation. So thank you, Amanda, for joining me and let's get into it. Sure. Um, I've been around Third Stage for a few years now. I think three, but I should have looked this up beforehand. So I had exactly <laughs> Uh, but I've been in the software space in different, you know, capacities, I guess, for the last eight to 10 years on the vendor side. I've been in uh, analyst relations and strategic alliances and then on the consulting side. So it's been really interesting to get to see it, you know, play different parts, basically, in the in the show um, and see it from different perspectives. And and um, most of my experience with third stage has been from a project management perspective. Um I've gotten to do some of the analysis and different things on, you know, change management components, obviously the selection uh, piece and helping with implementation. But the ones that I've kind of led for third stage have been more of a program slash project management um, role, which is, you know, it's different with every single mm -hmm. customer, every client and every project is wildly different, which keeps it interesting, to say the least. <laughs> Well, good. Well, we're really excited to have your insight and kind of um, really excited about this topic to talk about. We talked about project management kind of earlier in the episode. And now we're going to go to um, talking about kind of the gotchas in IT, which is also kind of a part of the comprehensive project management initiatives. Right. So when we talk about kind of IT and digital transformation, I, I always think it's helpful to kind of define what is the role of IT. As you said, it can be different in a lot of different organizations, but obviously information technology, it's pretty important when it comes to technical implementation. So can you kind of explain the importance and the overall role of IT in a digital transformation project? Well, it, it really is, it's like you just said, perfectly it's hard to distill down mm -hmm. to a kind of a simple answer because every company is so different depending on their size and their industry and the hierarchy and if you've got a really lean organization you know they're probably not they might have one you know IT person yeah. um whereas a larger corporation may have a whole entire team but it is so important because the data Data migration, the cleansing, the deduping, like all the work that happens with data um, before you go live on your new system is crucial. And IT generally has, you know, a huge responsibility in that because they know where it is. They've got all the security mm -hmm. clearances to, to access every single thing, finances, you know, across HR, across everything. And you, you'll have, you know, 
um, subject matter experts, you'll have business process owners who are, you know, department heads, and maybe they'll speak mm -hmm. to some of the specifics. But in general, we're talking about vast amounts of data. And so mm -hmm. IT, usually the network admin, or there's somebody who kind of holds the key to all of that. And they're also yeah. used to doing huge data dumps and really understanding how to manipulate it, how to categorize it. You've got to map it to what the new system mm -hmm. is going to, you know, need to see it as. And so, um, you really need to have familiarity and maybe your HR person or your, you know, sales guy doesn't know how to do that. Right. Which probably yeah. they don't. They're the expert in, in some of the things in their area, but typically IT will play a huge part in that. And we'll work very closely with either third stage with the SI um, or the vendor or all of the above. So I would say it's incredibly important and often overlooked. A lot of times we're talking about steering committees and we're focused, which is all, those are all very important too. Um, but data, you can ask anybody. I mean, data almost, all, I'm sure you've heard this a ton of times. People always, almost always underestimate how long it's going to take and mm -hmm. how, how complicated it can get. Absolutely. Um, you know, that that's so incredibly important. So, you know, backing up a little bit before we get in the the bigger gotchas of IT, if you will, in digital transformation, what are some main considerations that an, an IT or even steering committee would need to take into consideration when it comes to data? So we can kind of set the stage for the conversation when looking at a new system or a new implementation. Um, I wish I had a really clear, I wish I had one of my project plans kind of that I could reference and get super mm -hmm. specific that, but that would probably bore people. And I think, you know, really at a high level, you've got to look at, um, your system, your new companies are spending a lot of money, time and resources to put this new system in, you know, or to upgrade mm -hmm. their current or whatever. And with you know, a new system with garbage data is you're not helping yeah. yourself, right? You mm -hmm. literally just perpetuated and automated bad processes and bad data in a really nice, new, shiny, expensive system. Um, and it happens all the time. We see it happen all the time. Mm -hmm. um, and so I would say that you've got to, first of all, look at the data, you know, um, is it clean? Mm -hmm. Does it fit within the processes that we want to move, you know, carry on moving forward. Um, because we always talk about current state and future state. And sometimes there's a really big delta between those two right. things. And um, so I think really looking at what data is going, you know, what's moving forward? How much history do we want? Do we want to pull have two years or five years? Um, you know, who's going to have access to mm -hmm. what data? And how are we going to organize it? You know, um, because a lot of times if you're I'm trying to think of an example like manufacturing, you know, eaches or bags or pallets or containers and in this new system, you know, it's going to be viewed differently. Right. Sure. The measurements, the parameters are going to be different. Sometimes you have to change a process to accommodate the data. And sometimes you've got to massage the data to accommodate a process. And so for me, it's those things that you really have to look at. And that's a very, very high level simplified um, answer. But I think a lot of people think you're just going to export stuff out yeah. of your old system and import it into the new one. And it's good to go. And that is absolutely not 
um, what happens. So planning mm-hmm. up front in terms of, again, what data are we working with? How much are we keeping? How much historical uh, do we need to, to bring over? Um, and then a plan, a really specific plan about cleansing, deduping, scrubbing, scrubbing again, scrubbing again, and then mapping. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like data governance and data management is really kind of one of those phase zero initiatives, as we call it at third stage, that really needs to be considered when you are considering a new selection or an implementation planning of of any type. So definitely really critical to the overall conversation. So let's get into some of these kind of gotchas that you had um, pulled through. So can you tell us kind of what you're seeing in the marketplace when it comes to specifically IT pain points um, in digital transformation? Well, um, there are several trends, I guess, that come to mind. One is that it's it's not how it used to be. And I'm getting old enough now to where I can say things like that. <laughs> um, back in my day, but seriously, people are retiring. It's mm-hmm. not the same as it was. You you didn't have some guy in the back, you know, with all the data. Yeah. And um, people people are um, managing data differently. And IT and a lot of companies do outsource, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of different options. And so, you know, I've seen I've seen that. And I've also just seen a difference in kind of um, where it's being stored, you know, how it's being protected, who has access to it. And so I think how people look at data is very different now than mm-hmm. than it was back in the day. Um, and different business process owners own different parts of the data as well. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's a huge, that's one of the huge things is like having those conversations about yeah. um, who's in charge of this, you know, mm-hmm. part of it. Um, but yeah, I would think that the thing that really pops out to me is that so many people have retired. I've seen it in the last three projects I've been in Really, that there's some person and hundreds of times throughout all the build sessions, configuring the testing and everything that the name, you know, will mark had all that. Mark knows where that is. Mark's the one who had the files on the thing. And we're like, Mm -hmm. where is Mark? Yeah. Who is Mark? (laughs) Mark's not here. Um, And so really understanding that, you know, you've got to have this, you know, in a more um, easily accessible Mm -hmm. place. Um, But you have to be careful because not everyone gets to have access to the data. Okay. We're here in the midst of a conversation between Kyler and Amanda talking about IT gotchas. During digital transformation, we've got a lot more to cover. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control. When I wake up, well, I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be the man who wakes up next to you. When I go out. Hi, this is Eric Kimberling with Third Stage Consulting and your host of Transformation Ground Control. I want to encourage you to read our Guide to Organizational Change Management. It's a free report or a free guide that we published. It's one that I actually wrote that talks about best practices and lessons learned as it relates to change management. So as you know, on this podcast, we cover a lot of stuff related to the human sides of change, organizational change management, including training, communications, org design, all kinds of stuff as it relates to 
change management. So if you're trying to learn more about change management or you're looking for more direction and ideas on how to get started on your change management strategy and your overall journey, be sure to check out this guide. You can read it by scanning the QR code on the screen in front of you or in the links below for this particular podcast episode, you can find a link to uh, take you to the page that will allow you to register to go ahead and download that and read it for free. So be sure to check it out. It's the Guide to Organizational Change Management uh, written by yours truly. I hope you enjoy it. Let me know what you think and hope you enjoy the rest of this episode. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 130. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and audio podcast platforms throughout the world. And Kyler is here chatting with Amanda Patterson about IT gotchas during digital transformation. So let's turn it back to Kyler and Amanda to pick up the conversation. It's an interesting evolution, right, as really technology and data has really moved into the spine of the organization. So it used to have kind of a silo within information technology or data management or whatever department kind of owned it. But now with the use of data to really drive decision making in the business, it's really kind of moved to touch every single part. Um, so I can only imagine from a project management standpoint, that can be really difficult to kind of bring that all in and create a yeah. cohesive strategy and plan around not only how are we going to manage the data, but how are we going to migrate or implement it within a new system? Right. Yeah. And I think how people view it, like you're, like you're saying, back in the day, you were looking at information that came out in reports. And so you're looking at something that's a week old, a day old whatever. Well, nowadays, the way the systems are built, and if you are building your data governance, if you're building that the right way, you should be able to make really important business decisions in real time based on what the market's doing and all of these kinds of things, which is where everybody's trying to get to. But the system can only do its job if the data is good, you know, mm -hmm. and um, used to it was reactive and now it's absolutely proactive. It's almost like you, you have to be able to do that to compete, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, to compete and stay organized and efficient and all those different pieces that make up a competitive advantage. So let's talk a little bit about those permissions. We had a really interesting question on our YouTube channel the other day, which I would be so interested in your take on. And it talks about how kind of a CIO needs to now manage two additional executive permissions. So say you had one legacy system where all of these different department heads had full access to everything. And now as a CIO or an IT team, um, that you now had to kind of put guardrails around those permissions, not just for efficiency, but for cybersecurity and other initiatives. How how do you address that when you're looking at um, who will get what permissions and why? Because that seems like it, it can be a tough, complex conversation to tackle. It is such a complex conversation and it can get, um, I don't want to use words like personal or emotional, yeah. but people are territorial mm -hmm. over information um, within the organization. And that's a really tough question. I mean, that it, it really depends on the culture. It depends on the hierarchy there and kind of, because a lot of times those roles would be assigned to a CIO to kind of oversee and to mm -hmm. make those decisions on. Some CIOs are involved at that level of detail and some are not. And so it's really hard. I could never say this is how you should do it, because for me, it really depends on um, 
you know, the culture, the people, the personalities, the layers of security that maybe are or are not in place, and then the type of data <clears throat> that you're dealing with, you know. Yeah. The proprietary nature, obviously, you know, personal information about people. Um, that's a tough one. And it comes up a lot. And they change their minds over and over. That's oh that's another interesting thing. As they get into the system more and more, and they're messing around with this, but I need to see this form. And why can't I pull down this report? And so permissions begin to be a little more granted. Um, and then somebody sees something they're not supposed yeah. to see. Um, and then it's got to get pulled back. And so there's this question of how do we allow people access to what they need to actually do their daily job to execute mm -hmm. the tasks that they need to do without, you know, yeah, exposing um, ourselves potentially to, you know, cyber threats or um, information getting out, especially like proprietary, you know, recipes, mm -hmm. things that are are under lock yeah. and key. So that's a tough yeah. one. Yeah. So I'll plead that, the fifth. <laughs> yeah, right. So, and I mean, I, I'm sure it's unique to each organization, but it sounds like that really happens in the roles and responsibilities, like mapping phase. Yes. Um, yes. And should probably happen pre-implementation, because I only imagine the chaos of like trying to implement user groups, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, wait, you know, these permissions aren't um, appropriate for this user group, that type of thing. Yes. Yes, I think it should be determined way, way before, way early, um, because it's going to open the, it's going to open, you know, rabbit holes or whatever. And there's going to potentially need to be subsequent conversations. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the part where people are can be territorial. Um, mm -hmm. Some CIOs know all the way down to the level of detail and they've actually, you know, they know what it looks like from the boardroom mm -hmm. all the way to the floor yeah. um, and others just are kind of removed far removed from it and may not really understand the ins and outs well enough to um, make those kinds of decisions that actually make sense in the day-to-day -day world mm -hmm. so again it's um, it's something that needs to be discussed really early and then just know let the client know and everybody agree this is going to be really iterative like mm -hmm. we're going to continue to kind of work through this so, but it's better to have to turn on access for someone than to have to, you can't yeah. put a genie back in the bottle, right? Once sure. yeah. data is well off, said. that shouldn't be. So, yeah. yeah. So let's talk about maintenance. I'm talking about kind of servers, cloud updates, hardware issues, um, overall support. When it comes to some IT departments, especially in using a new system, I assume that can be a big pain point to not only yeah. kind of maintenance, create a maintenance plan or organize or resource, but also in the amount or the volume of say help tickets or something you might get when it comes to utilizing a brand new system. So can you talk a little bit about that overall pain point? It's, again, it's so different now than it used to be. Mm -hmm. um, because and it, of course, it depends on the system that you're talking about. Like, if because we know if you're putting in an SAP or some behemoth, mm -hmm. you're going to have to have people on staff just to keep that thing going, right? Um, but now that things are in the cloud as opposed to being on-prem, there's a very different 
set of requirements for what needs to be upkept or, or you know, mm -hmm. maintained. And so if you've got a lot of customizations, this and that, people are having to make sure that if something breaks, that they're able to go in and 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 do that. Um, whereas back in the day, it was like these huge rooms full of servers, right? And these really cold rooms and yeah. people were always needing to maintain. We don't do that quite as much anymore as more people go. Um, to the cloud. So I think that, again, it just depends. And, and this is part of where the complexity, I feel like, comes in whenever you're you're outsourced. Mm -hmm. um, because before Mark, the proverbial Mark, could <laughs> <laughs> just go somewhere and do something and yeah. fix things. And now, you know, that's that's not always direct as direct as it used to be. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And so it's a lot more modern and it's a lot, it's cool to have everything on the cloud, but there obviously there are there are also challenges with it. Um and so yeah, I, I don't know if I even answered your question. Um, oh sure. Yeah, I, I think the the thesis of that that question that you hit right the nail on the head is is you really have to have the awareness right of, yeah. of what are your needs as an organization what are your competencies and really who owns that is it an IT person right. is it an HR person who who is it and really understand the the overall process around that and right. then do you want to outsource so let's let's unpack the outsourcing a little bit when you do look at outsourcing IT support, what are some considerations that you kind of counsel clients to take into account when looking at, hey, we we really don't have this support in-house. What 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 might need we do to bring on or fill that gap? Again, it's very <laughs> I know on the game show the other day you weren't allowed yeah. to say it depends. It depends. But that's always <laughs> the answer, right? <laughs> um it really depends. I mean it's it's I'll give an example of, you know, when you're when you're outsourcing, especially for during a selection and implementation where there's all this data work going on, we have these new label printers and new servers and WorldShip and all these things need to be configured and um, we need to know what needs to be in this pull down and which data is pull, you know, how is it going to map to X, Y, Z? Well, the outsourced IT department or IT firm that this company uses, they don't know. Yeah. They just know how to execute IT things. Mm -hmm. And so there is this gap of, you know, um, and there's no one there physically either. I would say that's the mm -hmm. big thing, right? If you're okay. connecting and, and you're checking, you know, Wi-Fi and you're setting up like your label printers and and you're making sure the handhelds, there, some of that really is kind of old school of where, you know, it helped a lot to be on site, to test things, to plug things in, to make sure that this is going to the right printer, you know, mm -hmm. on the production floor, that kind of thing. Um, and so I think a lot of that is lost in translation, unfortunately, but it's more efficient, I guess, from an IT perspective to outsource it than to have a big staff um, who you may or may not need um, mm -hmm. that many people to manage your new system. Um, and I think that you obviously need to deal with someone who's trustworthy, who, you know, you, they've got people who can give references and kind of talk to them about yeah. maybe some of the issues they've had. And that's what I always like to advise people to do, whether it's a selection of a whole system or mm -hmm. an IT firm, you know, talk to them and see mm -hmm. not the not the 
the company, but the yeah, right. customer, the, the clients. Yeah. <laughs> and just really understand, you're like, you know, nothing's perfect. None of these yeah. solutions are perfect. They're all going to have their drawbacks. And you've just got to figure out for your organization and your culture, and how often do you guys need IT support and need help, right? And what does that look like? Um, those are the things that I kind of ask people. And it's also a cultural fit, right? Yeah. If somebody wants something fixed immediately, um, because I've had this come up on this recent project as well, mm. they're they'll reply to an email like two or three days later. Um, or you submit a ticket and you get yeah. kind of routed and it just feels very impersonal. Whereas again, a lot of these companies, some of these some people have been there for 20 years. They're coming off a really old legacy system and they used to be able to walk down the hall to Mark's office yeah. and just get it fixed, you know, and and yeah. then when you outsource, it does feel a little bit detached. But again, and I've seen our interviews with guests who talk about mm -hmm. the the advantages of outsourcing. Mm -hmm. um, so you really have to go back to the drawing board of like, what is our objective? Uh -huh. You know, what are our IT needs? Um, what are the drawbacks? What are the risks? And and make a decision from there. And budget, obviously. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so that sounds like all of those things when we come to pain points really come along to an alignment of strategy. So yeah. a lot of times what we see um, in our conversations or in our projects is there can be a misalignment between IT and more of the business teams. What do you think that organizations should do to ensure that they have that overarching alignment um, between the business objectives and the IT technical objectives? If anyone knows the answer to that question, <laughs> let me know. No, I'm kidding. Um, for me and my personal, I can only speak to my personal experience and what I've seen on projects, but it's um, it's getting good at translating. Yeah. You know, um, business process owners speak a certain language. IT speaks a, their own language sometimes. And so I think having those teams talk with each other or having a consultant like third stage um, and or an SI or whoever is involved helping to translate those needs. You know, um, we've had it many times where we've written some type of customization or some type of custom report and you explain it. And if the nuance isn't really explained um, to IT or to it, then it's it's not translated properly. It's really the only way I can I can put yeah. it. You've got to talk to someone who can understand what the end goal is, mm -hmm. you know. And a lot of really good consultants will ask a lot of questions yeah. during the process when somebody says, well, "We need a report that says this, and we need it to be able to do that." Why? You know, why? What are you trying to get out of that? What are the data points that you're looking for? And then just trying to have a bridge or a translator who can, you know, speak between those two teams or better yet, have them have them speak to one another um, just to make sure that the objectives are the same. I know that's not a very technical answer, but for me, it's just a it's a it's a missed communication um, missed opportunity for communication because mm -hmm. a lot of times and I'm guilty of it myself sometimes it's easier to keep things keep teams siloed mm -hmm. because you're this team's talking about that and this team's talking about and you don't want to waste people's time 
having, but every now and then it really is important, you know, to make sure that everyone on the team across all the different departments see from end to end, you know, Mm -hmm. that everything impacts everything else. Um, And deciphering business speak to IT people and vice versa is a really important skill. I, I need, I wish I was better at it myself. Um, but I have found that it helps if everyone understands what the end goal is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because if we if we submit an SOW for a customization, and that and whoever's writing it doesn't understand fully what we're trying to get to, they might maybe we didn't say it the right way, mm-hmm. right? Again, we didn't spill it out in a way that they could understand. And so we'll get the SOW, we'll get the customization. We're like, well, it's missing, you know, X, Y, Z. And they're like, well, you didn't say that. It's implied from a business process perspective that those data points would be included in that. Yes. But but that's not how IT typically works, if that makes any sense at all. It's it's kind of, we joke about it all the time because I'm like, can someone please um, translate this into what they will understand, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. and then too, I think misalignment is a big part of it too, right? Assuming, um, the other, that they understand and making a lot of assumptions and not just picking up the phone or setting up a call and just saying like, let's spend half an hour hashing this out to really make sure that everybody's on the same page. Okay. We're here in the midst of a conversation between Kyler and Amanda talking about IT gotchas during digital transformation. We've got a lot more to cover. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control. Could you whisper in my ear the things you want to feel? Interested in working for a company that truly values your unique skills and experience? Here at Third Stage, we don't hire based on resumes alone. We look at the full candidate, experience, and willingness to provide excellent service for our clients. Within a technology independent and agnostic consulting firm, you have the opportunity to learn across industries with a diverse group of clients. Our consultants also have the opportunity to diversify their portfolio and learn across technology systems. If you're interested in joining a high growth entrepreneurial organization, please reach out to us at work at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 130. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and audio podcast platforms throughout the world. And Kyler is here chatting with Amanda Patterson about IT gotchas during digital transformation. So let's turn it back to Kyler and Amanda to pick up the conversation. It is truly about communication. And we see that a lot when we look at kind of the evolution of roles and responsibilities within enterprise IT and that rise of that business technologist, right? The person that's able to go to the IT team and then to the business team and, and find some common ground. I mean, the second point there is that visibility, really seeing the end-to-end processes creates that empathy. So you're not looking at, you know, Amanda's not doing as much work as I am, all of these different things. You, you're able to kind of understand everybody else's shoes. So that takes a lot of maintenance and it's a journey, right? Alignment is not just one day that we all raise our hands and say, we should do this. It's, you know, a constant project health check to make sure we remember 
um, right. what we're, you know, our overall objectives are. So I, I think Absolutely. that's a, a fantastic answer, definitely. And so let's talk a little bit about after we implement the system, the role of IT, actually back up. Let's let's do one more question about the implementation because I think this is important. When okay. it comes down to understanding the resources that IT is needed, a lot of times we go into a project and the client, you know, not for a lack of best intention, doesn't understand the actual resourcing internally that is needed from their IT team. Can you talk about what that looks like or how to how to kind of allocate or understand what that means, the overall resources that an implementation takes? That's a tough one. It really is, but it goes back to really scoping a project appro mm -hmm. appropriately, um, getting very specific. Again, it depends how big is the company, how long is the implementation, what's the budget, what system are we implementing. Um, some are simpler and lower maintenance. Some are, you know, absolutely going to require quite a bit of IT, you know, savvy people to fix things when they break or to address things when they come up. And so, you know, I really think that you've got to, um, it depends too on the, some companies will put the data piece on their business process owners, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. the sales and production, and they'll, they'll be asked for information. Like, you know, can I get a, the, you know, customer master and the vendors and just the things that that you need. Um, but then somebody's still got to go pull down that data. And that, that stuff takes a really, really long time. And like I said, in the olden days, the IT person, usually mm -hmm. it was a couple, two, three people, they would just have these, you know, they would be assigned huge chunks of data and they would export it pull it down out of the old system um, and then, you know, use crystal or use whatever tool they, they needed to use to, to get it into the right formatting. Right. Mm -hmm. And then getting rid of, you know, duplicates, old addresses, just getting rid of all the junk. You don't want to bring junk with you to your new, to your future state. Um, it is really hard though, to estimate how much time that's going to take. Um, but the way that I do it is I look at previous projects and I look at what we projected versus what it actually ended up being. Mm -hmm. And you really try to find a client that's comparable um, in you know size. Uh, a lot of a lot of companies run a really, really lean organization. Mm -hmm. So if you have one person who's going to be on the hook from an IT perspective, um, then it's going to be, you know, probably 80 percent of their time. Mm -hmm. for a period of time during the project. If you've got a team of, you know, four, five, six people, then then it's less. But, you know, you've seen the spreadsheets where we really sit in there and try mm -hmm. to scope it out and really understand this is how many hours we're going to require from this person uh, for these tasks over the length of, you know, this, this period of time. And a lot of companies, too, have pretty clean data and they're really mm -hmm. good at it. They know where it is. They know how to get it. They know how to get it into whatever format they want. In those situations, it's not going to be as huge of an ask, um, whereas others, they're going to have to go access four or five disparate mm -hmm. systems, figure out how to get all that into one place. Mm -hmm. And then now you're deduping and scrubbing and doing all of this stuff. And then you've got the process of mapping that can take weeks or months, um, yeah. especially if you're talking about a company who's been on a legacy system for 40 years. Um, 
that's a mess. And so, you know, the way that I've been able, because we've projected before and we've been really, really close and spot on and other times, um, you know, it took less time or it took more time. So really studying what that actually looks like. And you've got to look at <clears throat> um, how familiar that person is with doing that kind of work, right? Mm -hmm. Because the BPOs are going to go, the stakeholders are going to go look at their uh, siloed, you know, data. Mm -hmm. um, but that's not exactly the work of doing the actual data migration. And people outsource that too, you know? Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. Because if you tell a company, we're going to need your your one and only IT person 80% um, of the time on top of his day job for the next year, like that's not going to go over very well. And so sometimes people will outsource it because, yeah. again, you need to know the company's data well enough. Um, and that was the other thing about like when it's outsourced, some guy or some person with a firm who just does that data work, they're not going to know, well, this customer doesn't belong in this category mm -hmm. or why are we still showing this this uh, this product? It was discontinued two years ago. Mm -hmm. Those things are going to get missed because you just, you know, they, how would they possibly know that? It'll get caught at some point before, before yeah. it go live, but still. Um, so yeah, yeah, I have seen it to where they just outsource just the data uh -huh. component because it's time consuming, you know? Sure, and there and there's so much data at this so point, you know. Much. So it's really become an, a niche part of our industry. I know Eric has interviewed a variety of people that own data um, cleansing and management companies that all they do is work on company data that was was outsourced. So it's really become, you know, kind of more of an emerging area of expertise within our industry. But I think something yes. you said um, is really important. And that's just about kind of the the third stage way of us adding value. A lot of times what we do is that we're able to come in and add kind of that insurance policy of saying like, we've seen this be successful in other areas right. and to another company of your size. And, and, you know, if willing, you can speak to that company and, you know, kind of talk about their experience, which is, you know, something that you had mentioned earlier in the interview. So I thought that was a, a definitely a great point. Um, Good. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So moving into kind of wrapping up our conversation, when it comes to post go live or as optimization, what are some IT initiatives that you should be aware of or consider when really wanting to maximize your ROI of this new technology? I know. Have you ever organized like your entire garage or your entire oh, kitchen sure. or your entire house and you have this whole system and you have all these little boxes and Starting today, and you tell the whole family, starting today, when, you know, we're going to put these things in this box and the, the, right? Does that ever, you know, really happen all the way? Um, and so my point is you can clean up and you can do all this work as much as you want to. But if you don't stick to the new system, the new processes, the new uh, safeguards to make sure that the data stays clean and that people don't start putting junky data in there, or mm -hmm. if you see something that needs to be corrected or removed, like handling it. I think that that's one of the things in the beginning um, you start to see, and you know how the systems work. The more time goes by, the smarter the system gets. It learns mm -hmm. patterns. It's got, you know, more and more data to predict and to understand, um, you know, what's happening and the recommendations it's going to make um, on, you know, production and all the different areas. Uh, but the financial reporting, 
I think the first few months, maybe the first six months of go live, that's a really great opportunity for IT to really be tweaking, um, you know, the outputs of the system mm -hmm. and making sure because sometimes, and we know this in our experience with change management, if people feel uncomfortable with something new, it's really easy for us as human beings to just go do the old thing. Mm -hmm. And it happens all the time. You've got this brand new system in place that can do a lot of this work for you to make you more competitive and efficient, but only if you use it the way it's intended. And sometimes mm -hmm. if something doesn't work in the beginning when people are still learning, they'll go back to the old way, they'll create a spreadsheet, mm -hmm. they'll start doing workarounds, and then we start seeing problems because now mm -hmm. the system does not contain the data that is needed for not just that person or department, but the entire organization to make smart real-time business decisions. So for me, like that's what they're always trying to look at. And of course, things like, um, you know, access and when updates are pushed through, do things mm -hmm. get broken and how are our customizations looking and are we getting what we need out of the system? Um, I'm sure there's a there could be a whole interview just on that because yeah. that's that yeah. there's so much new information for them to be for them to be looking at. Um, but yeah, I think that would be the main thing. It's just you want to make sure, and I it, people are so tired at yeah, the I, end. I, the fatigue I could only imagine. Yeah, right. when you finally go live, there's just this like sigh of relief and so you want to give people I don't know a few days or a, a week or two to kind of feel that victory and just be like okay we did it we made it you know but the truth is the work has just begun mm -hmm. <laughs> because now we get to practice more and learn more yeah. and there are going to be things that come up that we met you know not missed like as a mistake but just things you couldn't have possibly mm -hmm. predicted or known and so you're going to have all the all the stakeholders, the executives, uh, the BPOs looking at that. But mm -hmm. I don't know how much IT pays attention to that. Um, I have noticed, though, that the when IT is outsourced, they really do kind of. Um, I don't want to call it a postmortem because it's just now yeah. going live, but but it is sort of, you know, what did we miss and what kind of what are we getting mm -hmm. back that's confusing or that's not making sense or it's not tying out the way we thought it would, you know? Um, so that's pretty that's pretty interesting to see. Um, and then people get over that hump where it's not new anymore. They understand it. It's finally working and, and make, helping them be more efficient because um, a lot of people are doing so many manual things. Mm -hmm. And a period of time goes by on the new system and they realize the system's doing a lot of that work to where mm -hmm. they can really focus on strategy and like mm -hmm. doing, you know, more important things than grunt work. So, yeah. Yeah. So it's a, it sounds like really just having that maintenance plan that has, you know, some sort of subtle sparkle of agility in it, right. you know, the, the overall grace and understanding that we are learning, but we have a system, especially if it's emerging technology through AI or autonomous systems, it's yeah. going to learn bad behaviors. So we had to really make sure we have those guardrails and governance in place. Um, definitely, you know, a, a big initiative and, and you're right, it could be its own full hour conversation <laughs> on how do you do that effectively. Yeah, and I'm sure, you know, I tend to kind of lean more toward anecdotal and the people experience, mm -hmm. um, whereas some people will talk more to the technical side of it. And um, 
but they're all important. And mm -hmm. I think the people side um, is often overlooked because you assume people are just going to like adapt. Yeah. Um, and sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. And I think that, you know, making sure that you have everybody, um, everyone has input, mm -hmm. right? And the ability to say, this isn't going to work because of this and really, really understanding, like we talked about seeing everything end to end, really understanding um, because a lot of it in these systems, it's built, they're built on in layers. It's sequential. Mm -hmm. And if this gets messed up over here, this isn't working as we intended, then we're going to have issues down the line. Um, so continuing to have those conversations and including IT, mm -hmm. IT gets left out of so much because people are like, oh, you know, they're, they'll do the technical stuff and yeah, we're going to talk fine. about, right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's why that translation piece is so important. Um, you've got to include them, first of all, in the conversation mm -hmm. um, and then figure out a way to actually communicate and talk with each other and make sure that you understand each other, you know, um, and then just knowing that no go live is ever perfect. And so yeah. there's going to be a, a maintenance period there for a while where, you know, you're going to be making updates and things like that. But that's that's to be expected. Yeah. And, you know, you're a great example of an employee A that has a manual task that now they have it automated and can focus on more strategic things. Well, employee right. A might look at it like, oh, that's awesome. Now I have all of this time to do all these different things. Employee B might have an identity crisis because yeah. that was their value to the overall business. Yes. Um, especially in IT, because it is so technical um, and that ability to really maintain those things is a huge part of their roles and responsibilities. So organizational change in the people side, like you mentioned, is so important. Yeah. So we've seen that. We've seen that before with with, um, you know, the marks of the world where it's yeah. like, no, this is my cave down here. I own yeah. all this information. What like, I do. Yeah. No one will ever. <laughs> and um, and now it's a lot more it's undefined mm -hmm. and it really changes with each client, but you've got to be on top of cybersecurity. Yeah. That's not a luxury anymore. Like that mm -hmm. you've got, that is insanely serious. Um, we all understand that. Um, so having those conversations at the high level of the organization in the very beginning of what that's going to look like really helps um, prevent heartburn later for sure. Yeah. Those really, really big risks. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Kyler and Amanda. Great conversation. Really good stuff and stuff that's oftentimes overlooked during digital transformation. So hopefully the audience found that helpful as well. Uh, we've got a few things to debrief and cover as a result of that conversation. But first, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, Contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Well, 
Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 130. My name is Eric Kimberling. I'm here with Kyler Cheatham. And Kyler, we just had the conversation with uh, you and Amanda talking about IT gotchas during digital transformation. What were some of your thoughts or, or follow-up questions from that conversation? Yeah, well, these are, you know, real nuances that that need to be evaluated um, for sure. And and Amanda would know she's a very technical project manager and, and one of our top project managers in in kind of getting into that that IT layer of the organization. So I'm curious, Eric, now that you kind of heard some of the gotchas, is there, you know, is there something that you would add or something that you would repeat or what is kind of your top IT gotcha, if you will, when you um, look at your experience in digital transformation? Yeah. So, I mean, if I just back up and, and sort of look at, you know, what I've seen and some of this overlaps with, with what Amanda said, but, um, you know, some of the things that come to mind are, are first of all, understanding what the IT organization in general is going to look like. Um, because a lot of times we go through these digital transformations and they just sort of happen to us. And then after it happens to us, we're left looking around as the dust settles to figure out, okay, what's our IT group going to look like? And now how can we start to take ownership of this project longer term or, or this technology longer term? Um, when in reality, you have to be thinking about that stuff or you should be thinking about that stuff earlier on to define, you know, not only how is IT, how is the IT organization going to look longer term um, going forward as a result of this transformation, but maybe even just as importantly, how can we make sure that IT gets heavily involved in this project early on and we start upskilling them and getting them engaged as soon as possible so that we're not trying to scramble later on to figure out what we're going to do once all the consultants leave. Um, and that's what a lot of organizations do is the latter. They wait until consultants all leave and they've created this learned helplessness and this uh, over-dependency, this unhealthy over-dependency on the consultants. Now the consultants are gone. Now we don't know what to do. And now we've got to figure out how to engage with IT. So uh, that's an important part of it is just defining that organizational future state and being deliberate about it and starting to execute on it in parallel with the transformation. Um, the other part of it too is the... Uh, you know, the other thing that comes to mind is a, is a big gotcha is just the overall architecture, you know, the, the technology architecture of how systems tie together. Um, what what are the different technologies? How are we going to phase in, systems in and out of our landscape? Um, what's going to happen when half of the system is deployed, but, you know, half the modules still aren't deployed. So we still have these legacy systems that we need to keep up and running in the interim. How are we going to, you know, preserve that integration and how are we ultimately going to decommission systems, all that stuff, you know, that architecture and the, the roadmap to the transition and the technical architecture is really important. And I think that's something that's uh, underrated. And then I guess maybe a third and final one, I think she might've touched on a bit is, is the, uh, is the data side of it, the data, the analytics, the reporting, what is it we're actually going to get out of the system and what is sort of the technical output that, that comes out that, that can be used by the business. So, those are just a few things that come to mind, but, it, but you guys did a great job just sort of diving into that in, in a bit more detail. You know, some of the, some of the things she's seen from her, her experience. Absolutely. Well, I hope everyone got their notebook out for both that conversation and the debrief, because those are some really great nuggets and tactics to ensure that IT team is really optimized, or you really understand that awareness, as you talked about earlier in the episode of of what are your needs around the IT department and digital transformation. So thank you both for that great insight. That really is truly valuable. Absolutely. Thank you for uh, driving that conversation and for having her on the show. And thanks to Amanda for being here today, um, as well as Adriana for being here as well. And uh, thank you, Kyler, for being here and to the audience and everyone else who's, who's engaged and participating in the discussion here today. Appreciate that. 
So I um, want to thank everyone for joining here today. Um, great episode. We'll look forward to seeing you next week on Transformation Ground Control. Again, every Wednesday, you can find new episodes on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as audio podcast platforms throughout the world. So I uh, look forward to seeing you next week on Transformation Ground Control. Have a great week in the meantime, and we will see you soon. 